Welcome to the Green Dragon Podcast, a podcast about the Middle Earth strategy battle game. I've actually decided to say that this time because I actually I had a, I had a listener come in and say, this podcast is amazing, the game sounds amazing, what is the game? And it sort of freaked, freaked me out a bit. So it's a Middle Earth strategy battle game by Games Workshop, and, and it's a good game, we like the game. I am Jeremy, and with me is Declan. Very happy to be back. It hasn't been too long, Declan. You were on our Azog's Legion episode, and it was a very popular episode. It's one that, that I think we're both quite passionate about. We had Kylie on that episode as well. Unfortunately, Kylie is not with us today, so it's just the two of us. But I think Iron Hills is going to be good fun. Absolutely, Jeremy. I'm very much looking forward to talking about it. So am I. So am I. I can't wait. I almost sometimes when I start the episode want to be in the middle of the episode because that's where it's, it's all happening. The fun's happening. We've had some laughs. We've had some things. But we have to wait. We have to get up to that. And that we will. So as always, listeners, in our Army Review episodes, which, which I know that we like the Army Review episodes, I've got something for everyone. We start with Know Thine Enemy, which is our profile reviews. Know Thine Enemy. The Iron Hills The Iron Hills are unusual among the great dwarf holds, in that their fame stems from neither their wealth nor the glory of their artifices and the labour that has crafted them. Instead, the Iron Hills are known for a single, simple accolade, their military might. At the time of the Battle of Five Armies, the army of the Iron Hills is one of the most disciplined and experienced fighting forces in Middle-earth and has fought relentlessly since the tragic victory of Durin's folk at the Battle of Azanul Bazaar. Dane Ironfoot is the undisputed master of the Iron Hills, a ferocious warrior lord who won his reputation in battle against Azog's legion as a youth, and has lost none of his savagery in many years since. Having tasted the bitterest sacrifices in the slopes of the Dimeril Dale, Dane and his warriors have used the decades that followed to hone their skills, crushing every orc and goblin army they encounter. This warlike lifestyle has forged the Iron Hills Dwarves into an implacable and remorseless foe, indomitable in battle and unflinching even against horrendous odds. They have learned to adapt to overcome their weaknesses, harnessing beasts of burden to speed their finest warriors into battle and innovating powerful war machines to protect their ranks. For all their savvy, however, the undeniable truth of warfare against the Dwarves of the Iron Hills is that death awaits their foes at the shield wall. In the press of combat, their Iron Edge shields present an immovable bulwark through which barbed spears offer death to the enemy. At a barked word from their captains, these veterans Khazard execute precise orders even under the most duress, sure in the knowledge that there is no foe that they cannot overcome. Behind their intense martial skill and discipline lies a fiery wrath of the dwarf at war, for the Iron Hill dwarves honour the bonds of kin above all else. It is for this purpose that Dane and his warriors march on Erebor, for Dane is Thorin's cousins by blood and friend by choice. When the ravens reached the Lord of the Iron Hills with the message that Erebor was once again in the hands of the dwarves, no time was lost. The Iron Hills would aid their kin and woe betide any who stood in their path.
the Iron Hills. This is one of the armies from The Hobbit, the armies of The Hobbit, and it had a unique role in that it was probably the first Forge World army, and so the models are just phenomenal. It came out of, well, it didn't come out of nowhere, but it came out of the, the, the renaissance of the game. So the game came back, and the Iron Hills led the way, and that was fantastic. So, Declan, can you go through our first Iron Hills profile? I certainly can, Jeremy. Dane Ironfoot, Lord of the Iron Hills. He has 140 points. He is a dwarf, Iron Hills, infantry hero, and a hero of legend to boot. He has a movement of 5, a fight of 6 slash 4 plus, strength 5, defense 8, 3 attacks, 3 wounds, a courage of 7, 3 might, 3 will, 3 fate. So a very beefy stat line, I think we can mm. all agree. Oh, so much beef there. Yeah. <laughs> His war gear is a heavy dwarf armor and two-handed hammer. Yeah, two-handed hammer. Interesting. Oh, no, I, I see what's happening next. I've just... I'm sure we'll get to that. Yeah, so... we will get to that. I'm jumping the gun. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so his heroic actions are heroic resolve, march, strike, strength, and challenge. So it's quite a few there, quite a few very useful ones. Yeah, resolve Resolve occasionally is useful. I, I'm never, never upset about having resolve on a hero. March, it's always good to have in the army, so having a superhero like Dane having it is good. Strike is... is Strike's the one you want, really, quite frankly. It's the one you look for. Strength, uh, 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 challenge, uh. But the first three are definitely good. Heroic Strike is definitely the the one that I look at and go, yeah, I want that. And his options, only one option here, is a war boar. Although, in fact, knowing a little bit about the behind the scenes, I know it was, in fact, a war pig. And the pig's name was Pikelet, or the pig uh, Dane's pig was based on. Oh, fair enough, fair enough. I assume he had, like, a few pigs and they just rotated them out for the scene, but that uh, makes a lot of sense. Well, it was actually a, a pig that uh, was very well loved by the crew and appears in one of the Lake Town scenes and on the shore of the lake, as well as being ridden by Dane. And he was adopted by, or she was adopted by Peter Jackson after the filming. Wow, wow. Part of me thought expected a CGI mount as well. So that, that's kind of cool that they had, they had a pig. So the War Boar, as is listed, uh, has a move of eight, a fight of four slash five plus, uh, strength four, defense six, no attacks. Two wounds and courage three. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a once again a beefy mount there. Well, probably a porky mount. But we've got <laughs> uh, the good things there. Strength four don't care because you your riders riders up there. The attacks of zero means that it runs away. So that's that, uh, that's annoying. But the wounds of two is so so handy at defense six. So those are the two stats that you're pretty much using as long as as well as the movement of eight, of course. And that makes it really tough to move. So it basically means that he's not going to get shot out without a huge concentration of effort. And you're not going to get one of those sneaky attacks where, you know, when you botch a combat against one goblin, it's not going to turn around and kill your mount. It's going to take two turns to do that. So that's that's so good to have that as a mount. Yes, it's 20 points, but it says it's an option. I don't actually think this is an option. I think this comes with Dane. Oh, absolutely. And can't be blacked out about straight away is the other thing that I thought of. Anyways, back to Dane. Special rules. We have Burly and Fearless, and those are some amazing special rules. Mm. Oh, phenomenal. And like, I looked at the two-handed weapon, I thought, my first thing that I said, and you, you listen, you know this, you know this already, that I thought, <laughs> I thought no two-handed weapon, no sword in his pocket or anything like that, so he always has to be two-handed. Well, yeah, he always has to be two-handed with Burly, so... That that's not a problem. That's that's huge. And then Feel, Fearless is just so 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 good. Yes, he's Courage Seven, but you know you never ever ever have to use his will for Courage tests. You know that there's no point in draining his courage or anything like that. Uh, it's just it's so good, Fearless. And he also has a couple of his own special rules. 
Lord of the Iron Hills. While Dane Ironfoot, Lord of the Iron Hills, is alive and on the battlefield, all Iron Hills dwarf models within 12 inches of Dane automatically pass all courage tests they are required to take. My goodness. <laughs> oh, I know. This is insanely good. And it's heading to the, the too good territory. You've got pass all courage tests. You've got a fearless model. And within 12 inches means you pretty much, especially the way dwarves play, you pretty much get everyone in your army while Dane's alive. That means that, that you can essentially run lower model count armies for, for a lot of the time. Because even if you break, you're not too worried. You never have to worry about the terror tests and things. It's insanely good, that Lord of the Iron Hills rule. And I've just realized it's just Iron Hills Dwarf, so it would include hero models as well. Yes, absolutely it does. Yeah, the captains and the, anyone else with the Iron Hills in their profile, so there's a few of those around as well. You could even uh, make it stretch a little further by putting a captain just at 12 inches away from Dane and then having another 6 inches from him. That's 100%. That's the, the, the chaining fury tactic that you do. I think Kylie calls it daisy chaining, but basically you set it up so that you have someone automatically making you pass a courage test, and then they, they pass their courage test and then counters doing their stand fast, so it extends the range out. That's really good for especially things like flanking captains with some goats or a chariot or something like that. Chariot, not so worried about, but the goats, you don't want them to run away. They're big, expensive models, but then to have them guaranteed is, is so, so, so good. Yeah, this is fantastic so far. Keep going. Awesome. So, Fiery Temper. As soon as Dane Ironfoot, Lord of the Iron Hills, kills an enemy model for the rest of the game, if Dane is enraged to charge, he must do so if he is able to. Okay, so we've got a very, very slight negative at the moment. Yes, it's it's a negative. He has to charge. He's tough enough that, that oftentimes he can just tank his way out of a bad situation, but he can be baited. Oftentimes he needs a little bodyguard just to, if you if you don't want him to run off on his own, you might have to do the three-point trap on him with your own guys and just, just move them first and, and not let him charge. So, yeah, that, that's definitely a negative. And it, it isn't even that much of a negative because he could just bash to avoid having to do that. But then again, you're losing kills with Dane, so, and that's not something you want to do. You want him to get in there and smash face. Oh, yeah, if you don't want, him to, if you don't want to kill, uh, it's more that they can like bait him into something that he doesn't want to fight set it up, but it takes a lot of work to set that up. So it's it's a negative, but it's something that, that I'm not too worried about. Like so all those positives we've just had, yeah, yeah, fiery temper I can deal with. What's the next one? The next one is Fearsome Charge. In a turn that Dane Ironfoot, Lord of the Iron Hills, charges into combat, he causes terror until the end of the turn. This one's interesting in that I often end up charging with him when I lose priority. So it doesn't often come up, but it's it's a, just a nice rule. It's one that you you probably you're probably not going to write home too much about. It's very handy against low courage armies. Uh, if you're just going to charge headlong into a horde of goblins that have no fury around them, yeah, it's, it's brilliant. But it's it's one of those little bonuses that occasionally will do something for you. But it's not not his main attacking line, I don't think. I suppose it's some, it's something that's nice and defensive if you're charging into a line that has low courage and maybe you just want to jump in and surprise them or just jump on a hero that's in the front line and the rest of your army is still running to catch up on their little dwarf legs. True. I find it happens in the end game a lot more. So when you like things, are, there's not many models left, and then Dane has to charge. You can no longer control him. He just goes in. So he might end up charging in, but then you might get one or two guys that just can't go in and help out, and then they don't have enough guys to prevent it. So it's especially good when they, they can't get their cavalry model to go and countercharge him and get rid of his charge bonus. It's absolutely a bonus. It's absolutely great. You always don't plan around it because... Planning on someone else failing courage test is not the most reliable tactic, but it is a nice defensive ability that when it when it works, it's really good. It reminds me of like like fury save or something like that. One of those little things that you never really expect it to happen, but when it does, is like oh yeah, that was pretty handy. Definitely. 
And finally, he has headbutt. Very, very memorable moment from the film when Dane turns around and just starts, sort of puts his hammer down and just starts, you know, headbutting his enemies as they come towards him. It's marvelous. If Dane Ironfoot, Lord of the Iron Hills, wins a duel roll but fails to slay his opponent, select one enemy, man-sized or smaller model, in the fight and roll a d6. On a 5+, Dane will headbutt that model and it will be knocked to the ground. Yeah, this is this is good when you get like a hero against you that that you know you're not going to take it out in one turn. You may have got your charge off, but then you got countercharged by a cavalry model. You managed to win win the roll off, and you can just do a headbutt on the way down. So he wins a dual roll, but fails to slay his opponent. So he still gets all his attacks at it. So it's it's a nice little bonus for when you go at those heroes with like multi wounds or multi fate. So you go and you take on their enemy leader or whatever. They survive on one wound, and then you just headbutt them into the ground, and that that basically saves you from for another turn. Because once something's on the ground, it's not going to do a whole a whole bunch. Now that one that one's pretty good. I want you, Declan, as well, to just go through the army bonus as well now, because some of it does relate to Dane as well. Sure thing. So the army bonus, Iron Foot has come. In scenarios where you roll for additional forces to arrive, such as those that use the reinforcements rule, you may modify your own reinforcements rolls for warbands in this army list by plus one or minus one. In scenarios where you roll to see which part of the board your warbands deploy in, you may modify the dice roll by plus one or minus one. Additionally, Dane Ironfoot, Lord of the Iron Hills, receives the Master of Battle 4 plus special rule. Both those rules are actually really good. The first ones you're not going to use all the time, but having those like the Maelstrom of Battles where essentially you've got a point of might to spend on all your warbands is really good. Because once again, your resources in this army, you're going to have low amounts of bodies on the ground and you want to probably conserve your might because when you have low low bodies, you usually have lowish might. It's not, it's not nothing. It's not Angmar, but you often have, have a bit less than others. But that Master of Battle on a 4+, plus, that's really, really good. And one of the tactics you're going to use in this army list is to, to like get lots of masters of battle over heroes to try and make sure that you don't spend your might and they end up spending their might for, for roll-offs, essentially, for the, for the 50-50 rolls. And that's fantastic. A 4 plus special rule means it's reliable enough that, that he can get the master of battle special rule. It's great for the occasional free strike. So if someone strikes up against him, he might get it for free. It's great for the heroic moves. That's the, the one that I often use it for. But it's just pretty handy. The nice thing as well is when um, someone calls uh, heroic combat nearby and you get the free heroic combat, then he's just unleashed. It's so much fun. This army bonus was good in the, it was really good in the previous edition where it was just the deployment modification. And I don't know if it even had the second part in there, but it was still just so useful being able to adjust where you bring things on. It is now up there with the best army bonuses, I would say. And um, one nice thing that it does is it connects dane's profile to uh his captain which we're going to be getting into later and gives him kind of a better version of their role yeah he he does it's it's, it's a really really good special now don't get us wrong like, this is where we have to go full kylie mode and just say dane ironfoot is insanely good this profile is amazing you're probably paying the 160 points 160 points is not a cheap character but you're getting a you're getting everything for it you're getting a, a an army bonus so you're getting the ability to do the Master of Battle, but also your 12-inch pass Courage Test. You're getting a model that's got Defense 8 without even having a shield. It's got a boar that's got Defense 6 and 2 wounds, so it's really, really tough to move. It's got some some pretty handy heroic actions. It's got Burly, so it's hitting really hard with Strength 5. So you're essentially hitting at Strength 7. I know it's not exactly right. I know that full well. But it means that you... Once you hit something, it stays hit. And then you've got things like the headbutt where you can go and just take it on as well. 
it's it's really really nice. This this is and this model came out one of the newest heroes when we had had another edition, and it just looks so so far above everyone else that there was a lot of complaint in my local area. I don't know about yours, Declan, but there was a lot of complaints. There was a lot of people who who had a problem with it and said, "Why aren't the Lord of the Rings characters on this level? Why is Dane so far ahead? Why is Azog so far ahead? Why is Bolg so far ahead?" But to those people who are not strawmen at all, to those people, I will say. At least the Lord of the Rings heroes are now on par of this as well. This is what the big hero looks like, and he is definitely a big hero. He is so powerful. I have seen, well, I've actually played Day and Ironfoot. I called a combat off like a lowly orc or something in the first turn, ran him straight into a mortal troll as a bit of a gambit, and flash killed him. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. I just needed fours. It was amazing. It's surprising how much damage output he has, even if you don't get the knockdown, just the throwing the three attacks, or if you get a charge bonus off getting another attack. You're wounding on most of your attacks, which is so different. Most heroes, you throw three attacks and you're expecting one wound or hoping for one wound. With this guy, three wounds is not out of the question at all. You might be on a four plus, you might be on a three plus, you might be on a five plus, but they're all very rollable and you've got the point of might. So when you go up to that troll and you go, oh, if I spend a point of might, the troll's dead. You do it. You, you take it out and then away you go. And oh, he's 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 so good. And the problem is that he might be too good because he... He becomes a... It's hard not to take him in this list. I don't know about you, Declan, but he's usually the first model that goes in the list, and it, and it takes away some of the other options in the list because this guy takes up so much of your points, but he's just so good. Absolutely. I mean, you can play an Iron Hills list without Dane, but it doesn't quite feel like an Iron Hills list. It, it feels like you're playing on... Um, you're playing on a bit more of a challenge mode. Like, it's it's definitely a different power level, whether you take Dane or not. So, uh, look, I like the character. I would like it if some of the other characters were closer to him. I feel like he's probably a step above. I, As an Iron Hills player, I love my Iron Hills. Like, I'll put up some photos of them for this episode as well. My Iron Hills are one of my favorite armies. I would not be upset if Dane, if they reduced that auto-pass courage test to six inches or three inches or something like that. That one seems well over the top, especially on a fearless model. I would be more than happy if he didn't have Fearless. So I feel like that's probably unnecessary. Yeah, so he feels like he's got a bit of everything going for him and, and for a very small negative. I, I like the negative. I think it's characterful, but man, he's good. So good. Speaking of characterful, there are a lot of little characterful rules here. Like Headbutt in particular, I always, I'm always i so fond of that rule because it just it makes him on the table feel like the character and sometimes you know just if you haven't wounded or if you've attempted to bash just to not try and knock over your opponent you've still got an extra chance to do that and i I don't think we're going to get any argument he's really good some people might say that he's over the top good i feel like his points uh maybe they're not 100 percent right but there's such a big chunk of your points though that that he's he doesn't have that that ability that a lot of the the heroes do at that level where they've got a banner effect as well. He doesn't have that. So that's one thing that is going for him in terms of a balance point of view. You still need to get the banner along. But, oh, he's so, 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 so good. So we move on to the next ones. We've got some more named heroes. And these guys have just joined our list, which is very, very nice of them. Murin and Dra, wandering dwarves who've been around for a long time, wearing their old school wandering armor. I'm sure you can find models that have the Iron Hills armor if you look carefully at something like unreleased miniatures. But you've got Murin and Dra. They are 140 points for both. So you're paying 140 points for two heroes. The heroes of Fortitude, they're one of those heroes that go in the same warband, so you end up throwing a lot of eggs in one little warband basket. You've got Murin, who's who's your fighter. He's the one of the shield. He's move five, of course, he's a dwarf. He's fight five, which is very useful. Strength four, uh, he's four plus, but who cares about that shooting? Strength four, defensive eight, two attacks, two wounds, courage five, three might, 
one wheel, one fate. So he's your, so if you're paying 70 points for this guy, if you're thinking of it that way, that's good value for that profile. You've got defense eight, you've got strength four, you've got three points of might. That's all good. He's got dwarf armor, a shield, and Kalazal. Kalazal is a sword. Sword. Lots of dwarves with swords here, which I kind of like, because Tolkien dwarves had swords, I believe. They didn't... Axes are something else. Additionally, Murin receives a bonus of one plus to wound when making strikes against orc, goblins, and Urukai. That's really cool. I, I like these weapons. I like the weapons that are named and do stuff like that specifically, because it's he doesn't need it. His profile's still pretty good, but it's a nice bonus there. And he's got the all-important heroic strike with three points of might. So he's, he's quite a useful character. He comes along with Dra, who... Uh, is is okay. It's okay, but he's not Murin. Dra, Dra, who's not Murin? That's his. That's his claim to fame. It's fight five, which is good. Strength four, defense seven. So he's a little bit lower. He doesn't have a shield. He's got two attacks, two wounds, courage five, three might, one will, one fate. All good. He's got dwarf armor. He's got a bow with expert shot. So two shots and heroic accuracy. Interestingly, he's the only bow in this list. So that's that's kind of cool. I w- it would be nice to give him a crossbow option, but. I kind of like him moving around. So what you get is this tag team of heroes. So you've got two heroes together with a huge concentration of might in one spot. So what you're paying, 140 points, you're paying for that six concentrated points of might, which is which is very useful. Declan, what do you think about these guys? Jeremy, I really like these two. I remember when they first came into the list, and I was like, oh, that's a little bit odd. They don't seem to quite fit, because if you look at the models, they're sort of, they're, you know, very different to the rest of the Iron Hills in terms of their armor. And of course, Dry having a dwarf bow, it's the only bow in the list. But the more I've thought about them and looked at them, and I've been thinking, wow, these two just add so much to the list. Because suddenly you've got another character other than Dane who can strike. Mm. And more than that, you can actually pack quite a lot of might into the list all of a sudden, because put these two down, you've got six might for the same price as Dane with three might. Yes, yes. And you've got a archery hero to lead your archers which is nice as well so if you've got some crossbows you can always split off dry and go help out there or put some crossbows in this warband absolutely so you can split them up it covers more areas you can use them to to combine with the lord of the iron hills rule for dane to make your your courage bubble go all over the place they're they're not too bad if you're gonna run say say dane and these two you can only get two warbands but you're probably getting enough because dane's got that big 18 model warband these guys have 11 models in addition to them you're probably okay in a in an Iron Hills army, so I think they're definitely a good option. They're I think they're a legitimate option if you're going for two infantry captains. You might consider these guys instead as an alternative, and they they'll probably do a job. They work really well close together, doing lots of heroic stuff. So lots of heroic combats. One calls a strike, one calls a heroic combat, and they go and tag team things. But the the big weakness in this army is there's not a lot of guys to to help out, so they may end up in the wrong spots and may not be able to help you there. But I think they're a pretty good addition. I wish they had the Iron Hills armor. I've actually been thinking about how I'd convert them up. Then I looked at the um, the Feely and Keely models for the Champions of Erebor, and I thought, oh, Feely would look really good with an Iron Hills shield, and then just swap out Keely's sword for a bow. Well, that's a really good idea. Because oh. then they've got some, a little bit of character of their own. Because these guys, I mean, when you look at their rules and you look at how they're modeled, they almost feel like something out of battle companies. They do, yeah. In terms of their warband configuration and how you'd run them, I'm almost thinking you take half with shields and half with crossbows well i know you can't take half exactly maybe give one of them a banner and have five of each but just like have them both represented in there either that or just give them a full warband of um shields and spears and use draw as a little tactical piece to call moves and things 
you can definitely find a use for them. And sometimes in an army like this, you have that weird points where you've got like 40 points or 50 points or something like that left over and you don't know quite what to do with it. So upgrading a model in a warband, like a captain into Marindra, is not a bad option. So it gives you more flexibility in the points. They're, they're good. They're good. They're good. Uh, Kylie's mm. had heaps of success with them. She's been running them with Rangers of Gondor with like Frodo, Sam, Gollum. What's the what's the hero from that that one? Kyrian. Uh, Kyrian, yes, yeah. Kyrian. And they just go and they go in a little wall of six, and they just like all call her at combats, and they do so much damage. Those little four rubbish infantry models, and they're really good. Murin's a fantastic tank. Dra holds his own. He's he looks he looks not as good as Murin because Murin's got the bonus to wound, but expert shot's pretty handy. He can start doing some damage and putting pressure on. The bow means you can slightly move forward with him. So even if he's a turn behind, it's no big deal. Yeah, they're solid. You get one more captain option, which is the Iron Hills captain. Declan, can you take us through this one? I certainly can. So we've got the Iron Hills captain. He is 80 points. He's a dwarf, Iron Hills infantry hero, hero of fortitude. He has a move of 5, fight value of 5, which is very handy, a strength of 4, defense of 8, 2 attacks, 2 wounds, courage 5, 2 might, 1 will, 1 fate. So a strong captain profile. War gear, heavy armor, war spear. Sword and shield. Now, War Spear, we're going to come back to that. His heroic actions are Heroic March. His options may exchange War Spear for Matic, which is free. Uh, War Goat is 10 points. We'll, I'm sure we'll get to the War Goats later. And the special rules are Master of Battle, 5 Plus, and Shield Wall. So we're almost looking ahead in a way to some of the other things that we're going to see in this army list, but. These guys are just solid, reliable. If you just take it at the 80 points, 80 points is, is expensive for a captain. But you've got fight five baked in, which is usually enough. You don't have a strike, but you've got the equipment you want. You've got a shield, a spear. If he's on foot, it's good. It's not good. Who knows? He's got the march that you definitely want. Uh, courage of five is good, but then you've got the Lord of the Iron Hill, so who cares about that so much? Defense eight's very nice. Master of Battle on a five plus is I find that if you have one of these guys, the master battle doesn't come off reliably. But if you start overlapping them, so you have two of them that you're rolling, suddenly it's quite reliable to get that that action for free. Or if you have them overlapping with Dane, so th- that is very very useful. The master of battle, shield wall. We will go into shield wall now. Shield wall potentially gives you one plus defense if you've once you've backed away. If you're in base contact with two other models that have the shield wall rule. It's not that hard to do it in the, the Iron Hills list. And what you do is you tend to... It makes you almost immune to shooting. So you set this guy up with two shieldmen touching his base. It means he's defense nine when people are shooting at him. That's almost impossible to, to m- remove from shooting. In combat, it's very, very handy when m- some models have you trapped. So I found this formation, having these guys on the edge... Having them intentionally going forward is a bit of it, like a spearhead formation. So they go forward as a point, and then two shieldmen are next to them, and they get trapped. So you know they're going to take on three models, and they're going to be trapped. But you you go and attack, and if you if you do lose the combat, you defense nine. So it's unlikely that small arms are going to do some damage to you, and if they do, well, good on them. So that's a, that's a really handy rule. It does does happen quite a bit if you set it up. It never happens on all your models, but it does happen on some key ones, which is key ones, which is really good. The war goat. I'm going to go to the War Goat, Declan, because I'm excited about the War Goat. I love the War Goat. What you've got is a move eight model. So dwarves with cavalry, fantastic. Cavalry, move eight, strength four. Uh, that's all right. You've got the rider. Uh, you've got defensive five. Defensive five is pretty handy for a mount. It's not It's not as good as the, the boar, but it's pretty good. Mountain dwellers is, is pretty handy. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, mountain dwellers is the one where you can go over the rocky terrain, isn't it? Surely it is. 
I think it is, yes. I think it's it. You, you, the rocky terrain counts as open, which is very handy. You have to hunt down the rocky terrain because oftentimes it's not on the board. But I, I, anytime you can get that, it's a huge bonus. But the, the thing that's really cool is this devastating charge. So when you charge into combat against one or more man-sized models, which are always your target, that's what you always want to charge into, on a 5+, plus, the models are knocked to the ground. So you roll a d6 for each of them, and on a 5+, plus, they're knocked to the ground, which means it's an added defensive insurance. It doesn't help you with the attack, but it helps you. It means that they're not going to fight back as well, which is very, very nice. Also, tactically, to put people on the ground, even before, is, is all good. So your Iron Hills captain, I, I love the 90-point option with a war goat. I think that's... That's a really, really good option. Especially with the War Spear as well. Yeah, yeah. One plus to wound with the, your strength at four. Yeah, that, that's it's very reliable, very good hitter. And it's kind of just sort of hidden in there. You'd almost sort of take it for a normal spear because it looks fairly hefty, but, you know, put them up on a goat and they can actually... Suddenly, they're actually really good hitters in the list as well as being good for manoeuvring. Mm. It also means that you, you're most heavily armoured by far goat rider in there. So you've got... Your shield wall doesn't work there, but you've got a defense eight rider on a goat. That's pretty scary. The goat's definitely the weakness, but if they take out your goat, you've still got a very reliable model. So these guys are, are pretty much a staple. You're definitely, like, you're almost always taking one of them unless you're really going heavy on Marin and Draw. So you're going to have one of them. Whether you want it on a goat, you've got to convert it up at the moment. That's a bit of a disadvantage, but they're, they're nice models. You can have them on foot. They're a really good infantry model. If, if you just want a shield tank with them, Fantastic, but you can do a bit more of that as well. They're they're a good, reliable model. Expensive though, and they can always be um, tailored to fit the troops they're leading. So you can have them on foot with your um, regular dwarves. You can have them mounted with your goat riders, and you can even stick them on a chariot. Well, we'll get to that later on. I have one complaint. I wish that the matic option. The matic option is not very good, quite frankly, because you've got you've got a two handed weapon, which is not 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 amazing. You can bash or pierce, which is nice to have the option. Bash can be useful at times, but the Maddox aren't really your go-to weapon. I know there is a captain model with the Maddox, so it's kind of cool to use it, but um, changing your spear for it is okay because you still keep the shield in this one, so that's that's not the end of the world. But I wish there was a crossbow option. I wish you could drop your spear and shield for a crossbow, even if it was five points. I don't, I don't care if it was three or five points, but to have a crossbow hero would be really cool. Absolutely. That is sort of the one thing they're missing. And I will say one thing for the captain with Matic, the model looks great. I just really like how he's sort of stepping forward. He's got that grim look in his eye, and it's just marvellous. I can't wait to paint another one. Yeah, and you still got the sword as well. So technically, you could still get the bonuses of shield if you wanted to. Uh, it's It's got its uses. Like a, a, cap, a captain with, with two-handed weapon can definitely do a job. So that that's not too bad. Uh, look, I think I think you take it as well sometimes. But the, yeah, the I, Matic doesn't show up too much. I can imagine him going in with um with Dane on something really, really big, like a Gundabad troll, which Danes can be wounding on fives. Is that right? Oh, you've got me there. So um, Dane is strength five, so you've got defense eight. Normally be sixes. Burley goes to five. Uh, yeah, so fives. Mm, and I found that's not always reliable. No, you're right. You're right. And at the point, you, you've got enough dice, you've got enough might that you expect to be able to win the combat still. So you, you're right. That, that, is, that is the job of that, that hero with the Matic is to go in and, and help out those ones and really enable those heroic combats or those big, big killy moves that you do. It's not a bad option on the hero. So if you bought the Matic captain, don't be upset. Just use it. That's fine. I'm going to move on to the warriors. And we've got the Iron Hills Warrior. So this guy, I said the captain was like a staple. This guy is the staple. This is an Iron Hills Dwarf for 11 points. So 
11 points is expensive. You've got a, an infantry model that's that's up there with most people's elites or even more than most people's elites. You've got movement 5, which is not elite. You've got a fighter 4, which is average, but but handy. You've got a strength of 4, which is above average, but but not not elite level. It's it's good. You've got a defensive 7, which is above average, absolutely. That's definitely on the good level. Defense 7 is pretty handy. One attack, one wound, courage of 4. So defensive seven is pretty nice, actually. I didn't realize that they're that much already. They come with the shield, though, so that's why they're they're on there. You've got a shield wall rule. So your basic one's got a sword and shield. Unfortunately, there's no models that have sword and shield without being converted, so you'd have to convert those. I know that I think the chariot has a knife guy, and also the the war goats have have a knife, so you could definitely use those, I believe. Or maybe it's the the spearman on foot. Somewhere, Somewhere you can get swords. There's swords in the list somewhere. Shield wall... Your options, though, this is where they shine. You can exchange your shield for a matic for free. So that will give you heavy armor, a sword, and a matic. Uh, uh, the models are uh, really, really cool. I haven't seen people do that a whole lot, and I don't think that's really the go-to. Then you've got exchange the shield for a crossbow for one point. Yeah, good option, 12-point crossbowman. So you're using your shoot of 4+, plus. you've got a crossbow, which is a fantastic weapon. You still defense... Uh, it's defense six, still really good for an archer. Defense six, so that's that's good. Spear for one point, really really good, and this is probably the most common option because you get your box of twelve of them with spear and shield, and you definitely use them. So twelve points for a spear shield guy. Spear shield infantry are fantastic, and then the banner. First instance of a banner in the list. Twenty five points for a banner. You absolutely want a banner in this list. This guy might be the one holding it, and yeah, we talked about the matic being a weapon that can bash or piercing strike, which are both useful. They're just, they're just good, solid infantry that will do their job. The spear and shield option almost feels like the core of the list because what you really want is just to get a block of these on the table. Even if it's only four models, they can still do so much. And they're very, they're very expensive in terms of their points, but you do get quite a lot of return out of them. And they're just at that point where it wouldn't be, it isn't sort of silly to try and get a lot of them in the list like it would be with half trolls. Yeah, absolutely. You've, they're not so expensive. You do take a huge core of them. You put them in little triangles, so you get the shield wall. You advance under the under the bow fire, and you just shrug it off. You do not care at all. If you've got something that's fragile defensive six, you put these guys in front of them with their shield wall, and then once you get into combat, uh, if you're if you're outnumbered and you're in a bad spot, you shield. If you're not, you attack, and then they just they just do their job. They're really hard to move to move you want to be a little bit clever with your shield wall placement but other than that they're pretty straightforward you just push them into the place and they do their job and i found with running around with blocks of four is just can be so effective in a scenario i was playing i just um i just had four of them going up the flank and you know position themselves between a chariot and a rock and then and then some orcs would rush at them and they say oh orcs are dead it's like oh i've lost a combat i'll back away i'm still getting the shield wall bonus even though i've backed directly away yeah, it's funny, isn't it? So the, the the square block in combat's really good because you can back away and, and still have the shield wall. I like the, the triangle or diamond when I'm advancing because that way if you lose one, you've still got your shield wall going. Um, although either way, you, you've you've only got it on one model once it, once the first one dies. But they're so reliable. And, and look, if you like these models, you probably like the Iron Hills list. So if you don't like these models, you're probably not playing this army. So Declan, can you go through... I'm a bit jealous. I like these guys. But can you go through <laughs> the Goat Riders? All right, so the Iron Hills Goat Rider is 20 points. Their um, keywords are Dwarf, Iron Hills, Cavalry, Warrior. So our, our first real Dwarf Cavalry in the game. Oh, um, yeah, yes. <laughs> so a movement of five, well, this is just the Dwarf. So a movement of five, uh, fight of four, 
slash four plus. Uh, strength of four. Defense of only six because they don't have the shield. Only six. Uh, only six, I know. Uh, one attack, one wound, and courage four. Uh, their war gear is heavy armor, sword, war spear, and war goat. So they come with the war spear built in, which is very nice. Uh, their options, they may exchange war spear for matic for free, and they can take a banner for 25 points, which is really good because um, sometimes the two attacks with the cavalry charge isn't quite enough to get you there. So banner is very useful. I think you need at least one banner in this list, maybe two if you can afford them. If your goats are being your main attacking line, then you probably want a banner that can either keep up with the goats or is going to be near the goats. So 20 points is actually quite reasonably priced when you compare them to the infantry. So they're they're not double like a lot of the cavalry are. So 20 points, good. The, we talked about the war goat. It's a fantastic mount. Only moves eight inches, but other than that, it does everything you want. And these guys... They hitters. They really do hit hard when they they charge. So they're definitely worth getting some. They also can help out some of your other more tricky stuff in the maneuver side of it. I I love to like you get a pack of three. They cost you like a, a rent payment on your house, but I I once you get them, you use them pretty much every time. They they don't they don't you don't leave home without them. These guys are really really cool, and they're really lovely models as well. Oh, phenomenal! Mo- like they are, they are probably some of the best cavalry models in the game. That like they are just everything about them is really nice. I've got no problems with them whatsoever. They actually come with um, so you get a pack of three, you get one matic in there, so you can can upgrade one from matic. I would never do that on the the goat riders. Uh, I've done the numbers on the the bash and that sort of stuff. It's just not really worth it on the goat riders. If you want the matic, put it on your infantry or your captain. But yeah, the war spear is good. You could magnetize the arm if you're really clever, getting a small magnet and put a put a matic on, which is not bad for expensive models. I can actually imagine using just to be a bit controversial here. Oh, I go can for actually it. Go ima- for it. <laughs> I can actually imagine a um getting a use out of the matic if you have one uh, if you have one one with a matic and you're going in and and rolling the five pluses to knock them down. After you've knocked them down, run in with the one with the matic and actually um and just use him to get like a finishing blow. Although I suppose. Actually, now that I think about it, piercing strike has changed, hasn't it? So it wouldn't be quite as effective as it used to be in my head. Yeah, it's it's not great. It's you want to like yes, if you really want to do the piercing, that can can make a slight difference. But the problem is that you're going for the for the wounding. You, you, because it's a two handed weapon, you're less likely to win the combat, which is a significant difference because you two dice you're losing that value on. You have to essentially have a bucket load of guys in the combat for to get some value out of it, and it doesn't really happen a whole lot. Like the numbers on it just don't really work out. It's very, very situational. Uh, War Spear is, is incredibly good. It is really, really good. Um, take the War Spear. Yes, the Matic, you can use its special abilities when you get charged, but it's not wonderful. I think if you really, really like the look of the model, go for it. It's not, it's not a huge disadvantage. You're not going to lose games because of it. But the War Spear is definitely a good option. And I like the War Spears. I think they look really cool to have the essentially pseudo lances on the, the cavalry models. I think if you get a lot of them, I've got a lot of them, and I'm going to have a lot of them because one of the scenarios in there and back again has 24 of them. So throwing a handful of Maddox in there is fine as well, just for the looks and for some interest in the game. But for your frontline competitive tournaments, you're probably not going to see a lot of Goat Riders with a Maddox. I'm doing the same thing, and I'm feeling a bit silly for getting so many Matics on there. I think if they didn't have the War Spears, then the Matics would be you know, a really worthwhile investment to get the extra damage. But, yeah. If it was like less points for the Matic, I could see it as well. So if they were, say, 18 points with a Matic one, it would be a legitimate option, because sometimes you, have, you, you need to, to lose some points, so that's a good option for it. But 
yeah, I would in in my the twenty four. I would consider maybe two out of the twenty four with Matic. So I I don't really but, see them as being that useful. So Jeremy, you're saying that the Matic is such a bad option that they would. Act- that taking it would actually give you back points or ought to actually give you back points for taking it. I think that should be the case for two-handed weapons a lot of times as well, yes. 100%. Okay, interesting. They they are, like, they should be at least free. Free is free is good, but what you're doing is essentially, normal models wouldn't have a war spear. Normally, you'd be paying for a war spear. So, essentially, you're paying the same cost as a war spear for a Matic. I don't think that's equitable. I think... Probably one point would be about right, but but because of this such a high cost, you think that maybe you use more of their points in there. But say for for an orc warrior, a two handed weapon should be free because it is not a huge advantage. Yes, there are situations for it, but there are other things that that, that cause problems for it. I would just on the numbers, it is a massive detriment to be not to to lose that that dual role. So it usually doesn't unless you've got a certain number of models. So once you get to like five models then it suddenly becomes a bit more useful, the the two-handed weapon. But at that point, you put such an investment in it, it's, it's negligible. So I would be a massive fan of getting like negative points for weapons. All right. Um, shall we move on then? Yes, 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 yes. Okay, so I've got this one. The ballista, the ballista. So first of all, I'm going to go in very even, even analytical. So our Iron Hill ballista is a siege weapon, Iron Hills. In the Hobbit book, it's got a 90 points here. That was clearly a misprint because the intention was always to make them 125 points. Um, oh, obviously. Yeah, they've been FAQ'd, and that's that's a good move because uh, even 125 points feels feels like a bargain for these guys. You're a siege engine. Now, I must must... Once again, Kylie's not here, so I must point out that Kylie does not like siege engines at all in the game. Full stop. I'm slightly. I th- I think most of the time they're they're not relevant. Like I don't care if people have them or not. These guys, I am very opinionated because they are they're probably the nicest looking siege weapons in my opinion. They look beautiful. They're an amazing model, but on the in the game they do so much. And have a have check out this. So your strength eight. That's probably the the. One of the disadvantages, you don't have that magic strength 10. You've got strength 8, you, you defense of 10, wounds of 4 for the ballista. So like all siege engines, it's not going to be moved unless you spend a turn in combat with it. Your crew are just the dwarves. The defense 6 dwarves, really good for a crew to have defense 6 crew, so they're hard to shoot out already. You've got your free point of might. You've got the veteran that comes with it. So the Iron Hills Dwarf Engineer Captain for 75 points. No one takes that to pay. Basically, you're paying a bit of extra. Seventy-five points for the extra might is not worth it at all. So you just keep the veteran. That's that's fine. You're almost better to buy another ballista by the time you're paying that much price. Superior construction, yeah, fifteen points. Okay, additional dwarf crew, yeah, possibly as well. So they're, they're options you may consider. So reliable. When it's when it fires at a target, shot will only scatter three inches rather than six inches. So that that's that's really good already. So it's much more accurate than than other siege weapons or most siege weapons. It's got the the accuracy of a ballista. So they're the the direct fire ones. It's got the accuracy of that, but also you can reroll ones to hit. So your four plus to hit, rerolling ones. You're hitting more often than not. That is really really nice. So hitting whatever it is like uh, seven out of twelve times, pretty good. Plus you've got a point of might if you want. The old twirly willies. Now we get to a bit silliness. Okay, so it's active. It always counts as declaring a heroic shoot. There is no need to spend points of might. So you don't have the option not to. You're always calling a heroic shoot. Why? I don't know. Additionally, the ballista follows the rules for volley fire. So it's a direct shot, but it's firing up and over and go over terrain, over walls, all that sort of stuff. 
Okay, fair enough. The ballistic hits a target. You place a blast marker under the center of the target, and you go do some calculus. You draw a line from the center of the blister to the center of the marker. So center of the blister, center of the marker. You draw the straight line, laser line across the battlefield. Um, if you've got like something that can burn a hole in the battlefield, you do that. Just just cut it in there. Make sure you can see that line. When anyone shooting attacks at a strength six or less cannot target a model within three inches of that line for the remainder of the turn. So anything within three inches of that line, either side, cannot be targeted by normal small bow fire. And additionally, shooting attacks at a strength six or less cannot cross the line at any point. So it makes this barrier of walls that, that no archer can get through. So you, you've done this volley fire, you've shot it up in the air, and it's made this impenetrable wall of twirly-whirlies that you can't shoot through unless you're, unless you're over strength six. So that's good news if you're over strength six, isn't it? Oh, no, it's not. If a shooting attack that is strength six or more targets a model that is either within three inches of that line or crosses the line, you roll another d6. On a roll of a five plus, the shooting act- attack is prevented. So your your catapult, nah, over a line of little twirlies, no chance. Well, it's not no chance. It's a two, one third of the time, it's not going to work. So pretty harsh on other siege weapons. Now, the thing to notice is that the blister itself is within three inches of that line. So it's not going to be targeted as well. It's got this force field that's huge it goes up to what is it 48 inches the range 12 to 48 inch range so you can have this massive force field wall that prevents bow fire way more effectively than any blinding light and then you also have tremendous impact so if that wasn't enough for you and it's it's clearly not because you want more so you have a hit against the battlefield target so anything walking around all man sized or smaller models within two inches are knocked to the ground Cavalry models within two inches must take a thrown rider test. At least they've clarified that. That's nice. Additionally, any model within two inches also suffers just a casual strength four hit. So you're doing so much damage. You get the, the blast radius of a catapult. You get the accuracy of a ballista. And you get this defensiveness of some of the best magic powers in the game crossing a wall, stopping you. And you get a heroic shoot every single turn so that people have to spend might to even try to shoot before you to shoot at your defense eight wall of dwarves or your defense six goat riders who are incredibly weak my goodness that was my even thing Declan go you with your even and then I'll go on a rant so the ballista um yes well there has been a lot of talk about how the ballista is how strong the ballista was and hence the reason for its its points being hiked up but um that's something I've never really well, I suppose it's not really played enough on the New Zealand scene to really tell how over, how powerful it is. I mean, I've, I think I've, I'm the only one who I've ever seen playing it. And um, essentially, when it was released, because it, it was part of the very first release from Forge World, where we had Dane, we had Iron Hills Warriors, we didn't even have Captains yet, and we had the Ballista. So that was um, for us, all of us back in 2016, unwrapping our Iron Hills army for the very first time. That was kind of the army. Mm. And the, the role that the ballista really filled then was to sit behind the lines, uh, shoot over the top of the lines. You could do the whole defensive function with it, but you almost didn't need to because your troops were so strong. And yeah, um, it was just really the only incentive for anybody to come up the lines. Otherwise, they would just stay back and shoot because we didn't have crossbows back then. I mean, until we got the There and Back Again book, they weren't even in the um, in the list. I understand that, but the problem is now that they're so good that they make crossbows like why would you take them when you've got this sort of damage output? Like, you've got the splash damage of the crossbow effects. Yes, you still have to hit. So I'll give them that. You have to hit. It still takes work to hit. You're going to hit more often than not, especially with those rerolls to ones. I I think it does too much all in one go. I feel like 
yes, we remember that scene in the movie where the, the elves who are, you know how fast elves reload, they could reload, and the dwarf ballistic crew are reloading just as fast and shooting these little metal things and stopping the archers, taking out all the arrows so not a single arrow could get through. Yes, that was one of those ludicrous cartoony-like moments. I don't think we need that all effortlessly. I think that should be the absolute pinnacle of what it does. It shouldn't be doing everything all at once. So my concern is, one, why does it need a heroic shoot? Like, it doesn't need one. Maybe give it on a 4+, I don't know. But but don't give it reliably every turn and force force you guys to always shoot first. That, that's strange. So I, I, I'm not a fan of that. I feel like you probably should have a choice between the, the doing heaps of damage, like the splash damage, or shooting a little disc to, to make a force field. The fact that it does both every time, most of the times you don't need both. Because you've got such good defense in the army, and you might want it just for hitting power. Like you said, if you want to use it for just hitting power, great. That's perfect. That's that's what it should be doing. But because it single-handedly can take down an entire enemy's shoot phase, I have a real problem with, with, with writing that basically says, you don't get a shoot phase because I bought this model that costs now 125 points before it cost 90 points. And that's that's a bit over the top. I've heard some arguments from some players saying that, well, the Dwarf Army needs this. They need something to keep them competitive. And I disagree. I think if you take the army, if you took this out of the army altogether, you've got all the tools you could ever want. You've got everything you want. I don't want this uh, model to disappear. I love the look of this model. It looks really cool. I just wish that, that people didn't feel dirty using it. I think the 125 points is a step in the right direction, but maybe some of it, give it two out of these three abilities. Make them less reliable. Make it so so it's like a blinding light that everyone who crosses the line gets one minus to the shoot value or something else, but don't take the opponent's entire shooting phase away against an army that's almost impossible to wound from shooting anyway. Holding on to that point for um, about blinding light for the last five minutes, and I was waiting for an opportunity to say, and then you've just sort of sort of pit me there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> too bad. Same thing <laughs> awesome. So I think maybe instead of the old twirly whirlies, we could do something with um, with giving it blinding light when it hits or something. But yeah, um, I can definitely see what you mean about doing a bit of everything. That's not something I'd really taken into account before. And if you almost did something like the dragon and have it had it so you can only purchase a certain number of upgrades, like give it the um give it the chains or give it the you know some kind of um oh just uh something to sort of give it one of the special rules something thematic and that made sense in terms of the um in terms of the siege engine itself then i think that would be really cool and i can definitely see why you know people would want it to be reduced and yeah but um in terms of the scenario i think it the scenarios that it's or the single scenario Mm. that it's in i think it definitely makes for for a fun piece in there. And I think you've said before that that scenarios are where, you know, models are really designed for. I think so. No, I, I agree with that statement. I feel like some of this should be a special scenario, special rule that it gets all of them. I feel like, yeah, bring it down a bit. I'd actually rather see more on the board. Like I'd rather them be cheaper, but a lot less offensive. So maybe, yeah, you have the base value that all it does is that shot. And then you can pay for your, your more accuracy. So you can pay for it to be more reliable and maybe you can even pay for it to be doing the twirly whirlies instead of your shot. Like, the, the Mordor catapult's fantastic, but it doesn't get to throw a rock and throw the skulls at the same time. I don't think. Maybe it does. I don't think so, no. No, so... And you used to have to, you used to, have to pay for the troll as well. So. Yeah, so I feel like... I feel like maybe having a build-your-own ballista would be probably a better idea. I just... I, I don't I don't really get the heroic shoot. I feel like that takes away the priority mechanic entirely. Um, so I, I, that one alone worries me a little bit. But it's so disheartening for some people to play against. Like if you've designed an army that your 
you're an infantry heavy army, you've got some shooting and that's the one thing you've got going for yourself. And then the dwarf player comes up who's, yeah, defense six, seven, eight, and then says, uh, every turn, every single shoot phase, unless you spend a point of might, I am going to get shoot to shoot first. If I hit, you don't get to shoot at all. At all. You don't get to roll dice. You don't pick them up. Your shooting value is gone. Even blinding light, you get to hit on a six. This is way better than that. And it's just... It feels like a no-brainer, and everyone who starts the list knows it is. They put it in there, and, and they start relying on it. They start designing their army around it, and it makes for a very static army, and it makes for a, a no-brainer choice, and it's it's so incredibly powerful. And because it's a siege engine, it can flash-kill things really well. So it's just... I think it's still a bargain at 125, quite frankly. Ah, sorry. I had a point, and I now I can't remember what it was. <laughs> <laughs> I probably used it up. I just went ranting and on about it. You did, yeah. Actually, it was about the heroic shoot. So um, with the heroic shoot, I think the fact that they're sort of engaged in an archery war for quite a, from quite a ways away is is really cool like in the film. So one thing that you could do instead of having it call a heroic shoot for free, your um your siege veteran or your um your engineer captain could could um automatically have the option of mastering of battle, a um hero- a heroic shoot from any point on the board. Yeah, I like it. Like it. I think that'd be really cool. And I think it would be good if it was in like a four plus or a five plus, like the rest of the army. Because it feels feels weird that this this master of battle is better than the other ones. Yeah, I, I get what they're trying to do, but it feels you know sometimes you get a design and they're like, oh, what's its weakness? Okay, well let's cover that. What's its weakness? Let's cover that. What's its weakness? Let's cover that. And it feels like it's got everything. Yeah, it almost feels like the dwarves have built themselves a wizard because it's got like this really powerful sort of shot that sort of blocks arrows and and does damage. So it's like they've they've built themselves. They've made some kind of Frankenstein hybrid of Saruman with his sorceress blast and Gandalf with his blinding light, <laughs> yes. which is quite a terrifying image. Yeah, uh, it, it's uh, it's so sacred. <laughs> uh, look, I at least it's a really nice looking model. So when you see it on the board, at least you get to see a pretty model. Absolutely, I've already painted up one. I should probably give it a repaint, and I'd love to paint my second. I've got two for the scenario as well. I've got one on my painting table. I'm probably never going to bring it in a points match game unless I've warned my opponent because. It's it's not the style of play I really like doing, um, unless I'm doing a really wacky list, unless I'm doing like a, a really goat-heavy list and I feel like I'm uh, it's going to be my only shooting, maybe, maybe, maybe. But oh, I just... Uh, and 90 points, though. Imagine if we're talking about it as 90 points. I don't know how I'll talk about that. If you like it, I understand you probably like the model. It is a really, really cool-looking model. You've probably played on the board and said, this is amazing. It is amazing. We're not doubting that at all. I just think it's probably got too many things going for it. And I, I think that the thing that you don't realize when you're playing with it is the demoralizing effect of saying, okay, I've shot my fun thing. You can't shoot any of your things. Okay, Declan, are you ready for this epic that is the chariot? Oh, Jeremy, I am so ready for the chariot. I love this chariot. All right, so the Iron Hills chariot is 175 points. There's a dwarf Iron Hills warrior. And it has a couple of little profiles in here. So the Iron Hills Chariot crew, uh, move five, fight four, strength four, defense six, one attack, one wound, courage four. So exactly the same as a Goat Rider, I believe. Then the Iron Hills Chariot, move eight, fight four, slash four plus, strength four, defense eight, two attacks, five wounds, and courage three. War gear is heavy armor and sword. I don't know if that applies to the Chariot crew or the Chariot itself. It's a little ambiguous <laughs> there. I mean... A chariot wearing heavy. I mean, this chariot is wearing heavy armor. We can very clearly see that. But I don't know. I don't know. Actually, on the wheels, it's got those little scythe blades. So I suppose they could be considered swords. So yeah, yeah. I've Who got knew? I've the got ch- an issue as well with the, the profile as well because the, the chariot itself is a 
a dwarf Iron Hills warrior. So our last army that we did, the Azog's Legion, they um they hate dwarves. So we always have a debate at the start of a game whether they hate the chariot or they hate the riders or they hate the goats because it all counts as a dwarf essentially. So we tend to house rule that if you hit the chariot, you don't hate the chariot as much as hating the the, the dwarves. But yeah, it's it's one of those weird ones as well. We get this combined profile. So where where is it? Where is it? It's there. It's one model. Keep in mind, it's one model. It's it's actually even though you can hit different parts of it, it's still only one model. I think orcs really hate that chariot. <laughs> Quite possibly. I would yes. Especially given what it did to them. Yeah, yeah. All right. <laughs> so, so the options we've got: Iron Hills Captain, who replaces the driver, seventy-five points. Now that is fairly hefty. And also the Champions of Erebor, which replaces the crew, is three hundred and twenty-five points. But I understand we're not going to cover that in this episode. That's going to be in a future episode. The problem with that one is, yeah, absolutely. Because the problem with that one is it brings it out of this army list. So while we're talking about the the Iron Hills army list, which is what the subject is today, as soon as we mention that, suddenly that content just disappears because it's from another episode. So we, we might have talked about it, but then it's just been like gone off into the ether, and and we don't have that because it's part of a different list. Um, we're not going to focus on that. It basically changes the model entirely. It's a 500-point model at that point. It's doing different things. Let's concentrate on the base, 175-point version. All right. So, special rules. Fearless and monstrous charge. Good. Monstrous Monstrous charge is weird in this one because it's it's got another rule about the large war machine, which is a bit redundant there, but fearless is really good for this. I noticed that as well. I um, I went back to the rule book and had a look at what monstrous charge actually was, and it almost just entirely repeats what's in the large war machine section. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so, Dwarven Crew. Any Iron Hills Dwarf Warrior may replace a slain crew member by ending their move in base contact with the chariot. Any Iron Hills Dwarf Warrior who joins the chariot immediately drops their spear, shield, mattock, crossbow, or banner. Should the driver be killed, another Iron Hills Dwarf on the chariot immediately takes their place. Any chariot that has all of its crew slain is removed as a casualty. Yeah, I actually really, really like this one because what it means is you, um, as you lose some crew, your dwarves just jump into it and fill it up. So that that's kind of cool. And I really do like that if you've got this model, you don't have to like take the crew in and out and that sort of stuff. You don't have to change their war gear. You don't have to keep track of that. It's just just what it is. Uh, the captain itself, I think you have to keep track of his war gear, but we'll get into that in a moment. But the warriors who are, who are driving it, no, they, they just fill it up. Oftentimes you do this because if you lose all the crew, the chariot's gone no matter how many wounds it's on. So you want to keep your crew active, but then again, you don't want so few around bodies on the ground that you end up getting surrounded as well. So it's a, it's a balancing act at times, and it promotes good choices. And removing it as a casualty is really good as well because it's just it's just such a clean way to do it. Uh, I really like that. It's 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 there or it's not. Like you you wound it, you wound it, you wound it, and eventually you just take it off. You don't have to do a whole bunch of other stuff with it as well. So that that's nice. It is a little bit of a shame that you can't keep your banner if you hop on there because that, that Iron Hills captain, I'm looking at the photo now, and that Iron Hills captain would look amazing holding a banner. Yeah, good point. I would, yeah, it's imagine dropping your banner to get onto the chariot. You probably wouldn't, but yeah, no, that, that's a cool, cool little rule. I like that rule. All right, so rapid fire bolt thrower. Any Iron Hills dwarf that is not the driver may end the rapid fire bolt thrower. This is a crossbow that fires D6 shots per turn. The bolt thrower only has a limited field of fire to 45 degrees to its left or right. The chariot may still fire even if it has moved its full distance that turn. Additionally, the chariot does not suffer the minus one penalty for moving and shooting. The chariot may still shoot if engaged in combat and does not need an in-the-way test for models engaged with it. Each shot may target a different enemy. If it does this, then the dwarf operating the rapid-fire bolt thrower may not add its attacks or fight value to the dual roll and may not make strikes in the following fight phase. 
Yeah, yeah. So basically, when you're in the fight phase, you choose like well, no, you don't do it in the fight phase. You do it in the shoot phase. You choose whether you're going to operate the gun or fight in combat. Oftentimes, you operate the gun. I really do like that in the way rule where basically you cannot hit the goats at all. They've they've fixed it so it shoots its bolts. The goats can't get high enough. They're they're chained down or whatever or tied down. So you can shoot models in combat. That's really cool to break down the models. The 45-degree arc, I have no problem with. I know that some people have problems with that, but there's a template for it. Uh, I think it's still measured from the weapon, is it? It used to be, but um, I think I think it still is. Yeah, I, I don't mind this. It, it feels like it should do more damage. I never find it does a whole lot of damage in my games. And in the scenarios we play it, it feels like it doesn't do a whole lot. Against a Defense 4 army, it's, it's an amazing weapon. Against anything higher, it's... It's it's a nice bonus, I feel. I find that it's one of those things that because you can essentially use it um in the um once the chariot is already in combat, you don't have to worry about charging into combat. You don't have to think, do I want to stay back and shoot? Do I want to charge into combat? The question really comes, do I want an extra attack in the fight? And that can be really crucial. I often find when I've charged into combat, I will just, you know, think, Oh yeah, I can just make take some shots and often I'll just pick off enough enemies to um so that the chariot, chariot can sort of clean up a little better than it would otherwise and um, have a slightly more successful charge the next turn. But if the chariot is down a few wounds, I'll think, oh, gosh, do I really want to do this? I kind of need this guy in the fight, especially if the chariot's been charged. I often um, veer on the side of not using it in combat unless I'm, like, I'm fighting against one or two guys and I know I'm going to win the fight. Uh, like I've got higher fight and I've got the, the attacks there. If I don't have the attacks in the higher fight, I'll definitely have the extra attacks because that attack can kill in combat as well. So it's not like you're throwing away the attacks at all. It's it's nice to shoot down things at long range. It is nice to have that range. I, I find, believe it or not, the Gorgoroth Beasts um, shootings to be more reliable just by throwing so many dice. Like to throw nine a turn instead of throwing D6, uh, even though they're much worse, I think makes a huge difference. So I, I, I look, I like the weapon. It's a nice bonus. But keep in mind that, that there's better shooting options in this list. It's a nice bonus. It can do damage. When it does, you, you're going to remember it absolutely. But other times... If you feel like it's going to mow down hordes of enemies, you've got the wrong weapon. And the D6 is fairly fickle because um, even with two chariots in your list, you can just have a turn when you're only making two shots and maybe only one of them hits. Yeah, Anyways, that's, that's so, it. Yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. You throw three hits and then you, you, you've got to roll to, to a hit and then to wound as well. It's still not as reliable as you think. Anyways, so next we have Chariot Charge. The Iron Hills Chariot is an unusual model and moves in the following way. At the start of the move phase, the controlling player may pivot the chariot up to 45 degrees. When pivoting, the chariot may touch models or terrain. In the case of models, move them out of the way by the shortest route possible. In the case of terrain, move the chariot away just enough to complete its pivot. The chariot may then move up to 4 inches in a straight line. If it has moved a full 4 inches, it may pivot a further 45 degrees. The chariot may then move up to 4 inches in a straight line. When the chariot moves, it ignores enemies' control zones. Any models the chariot comes into contact with while moving and not pivoting will suffer three strength six hits. If the model is slain, the chariot may continue with its movement. Cavalry models suffer three hits on both the rider and the mount. If the rider survives but the mount is slain, the rider is thrown, and after testing on the thrown rider chart, it is placed in base contact with the chariot. Might may not be used to affect the result of these hits, a chariot that is affected by heroic march may still inflict these hits as normal. If the model the chariot charge survives, the chariot will still gain the benefits of its monstrous charge special rule. The chariot may instead f- choose to forego its movement in order to pivot to face any direction. If the chariot is moved by an enemy model, it may not pivot in this way. 
Yeah, so the movement is really restricted with those 45-degree movements. So basically, it's one of those, you wait for your time, you point it in the direction you want to go, and then because of the base shape, you really want to just make sure you plow into as many enemies as possible and still have enemies in front of you for the next turn. Once the enemies get behind you, you have to spend that full turn to spin around, and that, that takes it out of the game, essentially, for a turn. So you want to be really careful with that. You want to go in these sort of slow turns and just plow through lots and lots of enemies, setting up a wall with your dwarves to contain them and then just run them all over. But it's it takes a bit of practice to get used to how you move them. They're not, like, you feel like they're super fast, but because of their restricted movement, unless you've set up your corridors of where you're going, they're not as fast as you think. They often end up moving less than at eight, eight inches. I like the way these um, these models move, because if you think back to the film when, you know, uh, the champions are on the chariot on the ice. They're sort of skidding from side to side, and it really sort of has that feeling to it. Also, the ability to pivot when you're um, with with a base in that oval shape means that you can you're really able to push models to the side, and that's something you can't really do with the Candace chariots. And that means you can kind of sort of squeeze enough enemy models into base contact with you that when you rev up your chariot again, you're suddenly you know charging four models. And even if you even if you don't kill one of them, it's not just, you know, you stop on the first door. Because I know that's happened to you in the past, Jeremy. <laughs> happens all the time, yes. Yeah, it, it, like, strength six hits are good, are really good. But a lot of times you're looking at four plus to wound. So there's a, like, at that point, there's a one in eight chance of, of botching, which when you expect to go over huge chunks of, chunks of orcs, if every single time you've got a one in eight chance of botching, it's going to happen. And yeah, it's heartbreaking when it happens on the first one. It's very like vindicating when you, you botch on the first one, you botch on the first one, and then your last one you take down a shade and a witch king. But other than that, like you've got to you got you got to take the, the the pros and cons. If you get a good charge off, this will win you the game. It takes a lot to set up, and that's why I love it. I think it's it's good that that you've got to work towards that. Mm, definitely, I remember the first tournament I took it to. I charged. Um, I was playing against Josiah Abbott. And he had Corsairs at the time. This was back in 2000 and, oh, 2017, I think. Um, I charged the chariot in, and I killed 14 Corsairs just in that that first <laughs> movement. Yeah. And I only stopped on a captain at the end. And, yeah, the look on his face. Anyway, a few years later, he goes and gets his hands on some Khand. I'm not yeah. laughing anymore. I've got the Corsairs now. He's running me over. Ah. <laughs> yes, we had Josiah on the, the Khand episode, and, and I imagine he would like this one as well. I feel... The Khans are, are a bit different. They're, they're the mass ones. You can keep the speed up. These guys are much slower, and it's partly because of the base and the maneuverability. But they, um, yeah. We'll talk about them more in the, the tactics part of it, because I've got a few strategies for and against them. Can we move on to the chariot in combat? Thing. So, the chariot in combat. The chariot counts as one model in a fight. Any surviving crew member that is not driving the chariot adds their attacks to the dual roll. Additionally, the chariot will also use the highest fight value of any dwarf that is on the chariot, including the driver. No model that is riding an Iron Hills chariot can declare a heroic combat. If beaten, any model wishing to strike the crew must roll to see if they hit the crew or the chariot. To do this, roll a d6 for each strike. On a 4+, the strike hits the crew member of the attacker's choice. Anything else hits the chariot. If the chariot loses a fight, it does not back away. Also, it never counts as trapped. If the chariot is slain, then the crew inside are lost. Remove the model as a casualty. Mm, yeah, okay, so it doesn't back away is pretty key there. Uh, in combat, a lot of times, if people are going to kill it, they'll often go at the chariot. Now, the chariot's defense eight, so it takes a fair bit of power to get through it, but noticeably things like um, monsters just rend against it, just rip it apart. So you've got to watch out for that sort of stuff. The The driver is interesting in that you can upgrade your driver, as we said before, but he doesn't 
contribute his attacks. So that that's pretty key. So you always get that base two attacks for the chariot. That's the driver, but it's not the driver as such because the driver's too busy driving. So yeah, that's that's something. Uh, it's it's not random, so you can always hit the goats, which is interesting. But yeah, I, I this is fine. Nothing nothing too too weird here. Okay, large war machine. On a turn in which the Iron Hills chariot charges, it gains the extra attack and knock to the ground bonuses as if it were a cavalry model. The Iron Hills chariot still gets these bonuses even if it charges a cavalry model. When the chariot is hit by a shooting attack, the shooter must take in the way test to determine if the chariot or the crew are hit. On a one to four, the chariot has been hit, and on a five to six, it hits the dwarf closest to the shooter. The chariot may not make jump, climb, leap, or swim tests, and may not lie down or defend barriers. It may not enter difficult terrain other than shallow water features, including swamps, rivers, etc., which it is completely unimpeded by. The chariot cannot be barged, hurled, or knocked prone for any reason. I wish it said rendered, but I know that that's the argument. I just think having having it such a low strength is... Well, not a low strength. Strength 4 is, is not good for that. Um, some of this is pretty good. So the funny thing is the monstrous charge just doesn't seem to be put... Like, there's no reason for it, because this says that it can still get that against the cavalry model. Monstrous charge limits the cavalry model based on their strength. So this one, in theory, it sounds like you could charge a big cavalry model, like a high-strength cavalry model, like like a Dane, and then still get the charge bonuses with the large war machine rule. I guess if Floyd decides to get rid of the large war machine rule, get rid of the monstrous charge rule, you've got some redundancy there. But yeah, I, I feel like I feel like there's some overlap in those rules. The shooting defense is good, so on a four-plus, it hits the chariot instead of the crew. That's nice, but... Yeah, not not too bad. The go through water's fine. Mm, the fact that it kind of repeats itself does every time I read the profile stick out as a sore thumb. Anyways, so, the chariot and magic. Models with magical powers can use them on the chariot, selecting either the chariot itself or one of the crew members as the target. Magical powers that affect multiple targets will automatically affect both the chariot and its crew, if in range of the model. Only by affecting the driver will a magical power such as transfix or compel impede the chariot's movement thereby causing it to remain stationary or take a move as described by the magical power. Finally, magical powers such as Sorceress Blast, Nature's Wrath, and Call Winds will not move the chariot or knock it prone, though they will still inflict, inflict any damage as detailed in the magical powers description. So this has changed a bit since the last time. The last time it was an absolute mess. It went somewhere along the line of the chariot is totally immune to magic powers unless you cast a magic power at it. So they've they've upgraded that really, really nicely. There's a bit of debate over whether you count your captain or your driver as being the very back, like that's his physical place. So you have to measure to that back of the model. We tend to house rule not because it's too, it's gives and, gives and takes. Like there's some advantages either way. Most other models in the game that are a base, like the model is taking up that whole base. You don't measure from the actual model. So like if you have Dane Ironfoot, you don't measure from like Dane's hand. You measure from the base for, for range of things. So I, I like that consistently. It means that uh, if you get a heroic move or something with the chariot or someone calling it to pull the chariot, they can still get the chariot. Like you can get to this weird situation where I'm I'm an inch and a half away from the chariot and I call a heroic move, but the chariot can't come because the driver's six inches away because he's right at the back of the base. So you get some issues there. It's a disadvantage for the Iron Hills player because the magic powers then could could take them on. Um, like you would if you're fighting a Nazgul or whatever. If you measure to the base, you can cast the magic power at it. For the things like the transfix, it just means that the, the, the driver gets a chance to resist. So they can use their will to resist it, which is which is nice as well. So I feel this is all fine as long as you... like well, you, you, You've got to make a ruling. I would recommend ruling that the, the, the it's one model as it, it is. And you don't like sort of pick parts of it and measure the different parts. I know the crossbow is an exception to that. 
but it doesn't really feel right. It's not like a Mumek where you've got a separate base for the commander. I know there's some other hybrids for war beasts that are different as well. So there's a bit of confusion there. But what bottom line is, stay away from magic. Magic is scary. Always good advice. And finally, the Iron Hills Captain. If this upgrade is taken for the chariot, then an Iron Hills Captain will replace the driver. The Iron Hills Captain will have all of their usual war gear and special rules that an Iron Hills Captain would normally possess while riding the chariot. The chariot counts as a hero for the Iron Hills Army List and may be the army leader. If yeah. the Iron Hills... If the Iron Hills Captain is taken, replace the warrior keyword with the hero keyword whilst the Captain remains alive. Yeah, uh, 75 points. Okay, so let's go through the advantages, Declan. So correct me if I missed any, because I don't want to be over-the-top harsh on this. So you get Fight 5, the whole base counts as Fight 5 while you've got the Captain alive driving. Is that right? Yes, it's right. I'm sure it's right. You've got the Master of Battle that the Captain's got, because it's a special rule. You've got the war gear the captain's got, so if like someone comes up and tries to attack the driver, you've got a shield, which is nice to get that really nice defense. So you've got some advantages there. Um, you've got the two points of might, so you can heroic move if you want to because you're a hero. Uh, you can't heroic combat because no one on the chariot can heroic combat, so that's that's a disadvantage. I'm just a fan of taking the captain adjacent to the chariot and then having him on a goat and then riding around the flanks and taking out things and calling heroic moves and being more flexible in that way. I feel like it's the chariot. It's it's already of almost an eggs in one basket type model, and if it's out of position, you're in trouble. To throw another seventy five points on it for a couple of small gains, which the fight five is good. Don't get me wrong, fight five is good, but is it good enough for seventy five? If it's, I don't know. I don't know. I well, yeah, I do know. It's not. That's all you're really losing uh, with the captain putting him on the chariot is his um is his combat potential. I think you did miss one advantage of having the captain. Uh, the chariot itself, and I double check this, gains the hero keyword which means you now have a fearless hero. True, yes. And there are some scenarios where the hero is important. Yes, I'll give you that. That could be very useful. Especially if you don't have Dane on the board. Yes, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yep. No, that that's that's a good point. Yeah, and if you if you take your chariot and not taking Dane, you might consider this as your leader. That's that's a possibility depending on the scenario. I'll give you that, but I just yeah, I just don't don't like. I don't mind it at fight four. I feel it's okay once you get to a fighting fight five models. You got to do something about it anyway, whether it's with your crossbow or with some peels offs or something like that. Because you you're probably in trouble if you if you're fighting big stuff anyway. Uh, I, I I feel like one seventy five points. If I lose it, it's not the end of the world. And I have played and lost it at one seventy five points. It wasn't the end of the world. Although I think I did have a captain on it at that point as well. But um, yeah, I I, uh, uh, I feel like it's it's. It's 75 points. It's it's almost entire cost of the captain. And having an extra model that can go and charge and call heroic combats and engage more of the chariot's adversaries and clear a path for them and get out of the way and can overlap master of battle and do all that sort of fun stuff, I feel is probably a little bit more appealing. But, but yeah, if you want to take a, a captain, take it. I've magnetized mine, so I can change my mind at any time. As well. And another thing, I said before about how I really like the um, the captain with the matic. I think give this guy a shield and put him on foot or even just still on the chariot because you can do a couple of things with him. I think I like him more. I th- I just think he just looks so majestic with his spear and his flowing cloak. And Yeah, I've got that. I've got two um two bases with just a shield propped up on it and then this guy just plugs onto him. So I've got, he's, he's my extra captain when I use the, the normal driver on it. So yeah, it is, it is a really cool captain model. It's a little bit floppy because it's magnetized, but I, I, yeah, he's so majestic. He's a really cool model. I, I, yeah, the whole model is really cool. It's got 10,000 pieces, but they're not, it's not, well, they, they, the goat horns are a pain, but everything else is, 
pretty easy to put together. It's just whether you paint it into little bits or whether you, you paint it all together. I was optimistic and painted it all together except for the crew and, and eventually got it done. I did two of them. Um, maybe one day I'll do the third for the Champions of Erebor. I don't know. There's, there's a pretty traumatic experience painting them. It took a lot of work. But they are they are some of my favorite models. I'm a massive fan of these. And look, I really like that they have their real weaknesses. They have their real strengths. They're not easy to use. They feel feel fun to use. They're, they're a challenge for everyone. You definitely can win games with them. They're not... They're not so underpowered that they're rubbish, but they're also very easy to lose games with because you get them in the wrong spot. You get your some heroes and monsters around the back of them, and they're in so much trouble. Uh, one other thing that I thought of, just I know I said that was the last thing about the um, having the captain, but um, something that's just occurred to me in scenarios that require you to get like, a kill count with your leader, does the chariot, if it counts as one model, would would the impact hits from the chariot count as getting those kills for the purposes of that tally? I I don't know that one. I would I would say why not? But I uh, every time I say that I seem to get it wrong. I I feel like it's fair. Like you've put two hundred something points in this. That's more than like a Guahi. That's more than a Boromir with Banner. That's that's up there with anything. And then to say that you, you, the kills that you do don't count as kills when you can't actually contribute your attacks at all, I think would be such a detriment. I think that would be incredibly harsh on the chariot player who took this as their leader. So I would I would absolutely rule in favor and even when i was playing against it i'll rule in favor that impact hits count as a kill for the the chariot because i would say it's one model it's a hero model it's your leader model it counts as that i just have to be smart and not get kills by the chariot but I'm, i could see it easily getting ruled the other way as well and people saying that no you just get zero kills for that hero for the whole game well now we've gone through all the profiles so we'll move on to our next segment secret keep it safe with the iron hills i'm gonna go out on a limb here declan and i'm gonna say it's probably keep it safe but there's probably no secrets in how the iron hills play they're pretty straightforward would you agree yes they're very very straightforward to play almost the um the core of the tactics of the army is setting them up in a line so that they're too deep and they're all each model is touching uh two other models so that they're all getting the shield wall bonus this can also work with the captain if he's leading a warband so you just slot him in there and with your banner as well to keep it safe, always get a get a shield on that banner. Yes, yes, you always take that shield on the banner, and you always put a banner in at least one, probably. Well, no, no, not probably two. You've often got like a twenty model or twenty five model army, so one banner might be enough for you. But you take that banner because it's a beautiful model and it helps you out in the game so much. Several beautiful models as well. There's more than one. Yeah, there's two. Yeah, there's the there's that big flat one, and then there's that little one with the mountain on it as well. And they're both great. I think one comes with the matic guy, one comes with the spear guy. So it depends how many captains you've bought, but yeah, they're, they're definitely good. And I'm definitely going to put one on a goat as well because a, a goat rider with a banner is just going to look super cool. Smaller one is the one that I've put on the goat. Yeah, I agree with that one. I feel that that's because it's got a war spear as well. It can still use it as a war spear, so you wouldn't want that gigantic flag. The, the small one, you could see them still being able to use it as a weapon, even with the, with the neg one. So those Iron Hill Dwarf Shield Wall is intimidating for the opponent because it's so, so hard to kill them. The way they kill them is to jump around your flanks and just trap you against yourself, essentially. So you've got to prevent them from doing that at all costs. And the way you do that is by having 
either some massive hitters like your Dane or your Goats or your Chariot or anything that, that once they come around the sides, you just whack them with your really heavy stuff. Or you use terrain to anchor yourself or you just dance around and make them come to you in a nice defensive position by using your, your ballister and your crossbows and your shooting power and maybe your draw. But you've got, you've got some options there, but don't let them crush your shield wall on top of itself because when they do that, when they surround you, you're in a lot of trouble. One thing that I find as well is that you'd almost be tempted to take off the spears from the models just to um, to save some points or get an extra model in there. But I actually find having all spears is really useful. I know you've talked about this a lot in the past, how you know the benefits of having um, every model with a spear. Oh, yeah. And it just looks so nice as well thematically. It's just like they've, they've hunkered down in their pike block. They've got all the spears poking through. They're ready for the wall of orcs to hit them. Sadly, the elves don't come out of nowhere, but I'm sure that's an alliance you could do, potentially. <laughs> Try to avoid that if you can. I can understand you doing one with a spear just in case you had some spare points and you needed an 11-point model around, but I guess maybe the Matic guys take that role. I would keep the spears and shields on the models if you want to convert, and no doubt, of course you want to convert. Converting's fun. Convert some heroes onto goats. That's the fun part of converting this army. Get a captain on a goat, go to town and make him as nice as possible. I think it was the Battle Company's book that had some amazing Iron Hills conversions with some very heroic-looking dwarves. I think oh, that, they look gorgeous, yeah. Yeah, so so steal the ideas from there and make some really cool captains. That's that's where you do your conversions. Even make some of your warriors look like veterans. That's all fine. Give them some personality. But keep those spears on if you can. I think I cheated a little bit. The first time I um I played a goat captain, I just took a regular goat and blue tacked a shield to its back. <laughs> you could definitely do that, yes. Yeah. That was before the captain model was out, though, so I suppose that was fair enough. I am now converting up an actual one. Yeah, I've gone pretty simple, to be honest. I, I green stuffed a little bit of, um, just a tiny bit of the uh, the plume on the helmet. I've got a cape on him, which I, I don't know whether I grabbed from something. Maybe it was from the Easterling pack of the cataphracts or something. I grabbed it. I grabbed a cape from somewhere and made it fit, trimmed it down, green stuffed it, and then threw a shield on his, uh, somewhere along his leg or something, like it was like harnessed on or something like that, and then away I've gone. So, or maybe, maybe he's holding his hand. I'm not sure, but... It's pretty simple. I will do probably two of them, I think. Two two captains. I feel like one of my packs of goat riders is going to be two captains and a banner. I feel like that's a good command group. Mm. I'm I'm doing uh two I'm doing one captain, one banner, and Thorin on goat as well, but again, different list. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely doing that, but once again this content's just suddenly mysteriously disappeared somehow. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe maybe oh. it survived. Just be be careful. You're you're looking as a dwarf player, you've got a lot less models than well, not a lot less, but you've got less models than most people usually. Unless you've gone full infantry spam and you can still lead army. So you really have to keep your models alive. Luckily the dwarves do it mostly through the defense, but don't get them trapped. Once you get three or four attacks onto each dwarf, then they start falling pretty quickly. So you've got to avoid that. Now that might mean that yes, you've got your nice shield wall with two ranks. If you join a line and they've stretched right out, you may have to go to one rank. And that's okay. It's okay to throw one dice against their two dice every time. That's fine, especially if you've got banner effects. Don't let them get you trapped. Don't let them get those multiple attacks. That's what they're going to want to do. They're going to want to throw their hero into your side. They're going to want to take you down. Don't let them do that at all costs. You've got to get some value out of Dane. You can't be too conservative Dane. Like we talked about protecting with three models. Once combat starts, unleash him. If he dies, he dies. But let him die gloriously. Let him fight his way. He's got to do that. He's worth so much of your army. And the same thing as the chariot. Well, chariot's a bit different. We might talk about it in just a moment. But we need to make sure that your hitters are actually doing hits. So, yes, your goats are going to be conservative at the start. But when it's time to go in, you just go in and, and, and do some damage with them. Uh, make sure that they're not going to get 
countercharged by everything next turn, and then maybe the end game they go grab objectives. So you've got a pretty standard tactics. Your crossbowmen are good infantry as well. They're good fighters. Don't forget that. Don't leave them off a hill on their own by themselves. Slowly advance. Maybe half them advance and shoot. Maybe the other half do. Maybe you just stand back and you don't need to advance if it's one of those like find the banner scenarios. Just shoot with your crossbows. They're really nice models. Maddox, you're probably not going to find as much use for, but they are really nice looking. So if you take them, good for you. That's fine. It's pretty basic. The two things that make this list special, though, are the Ballista, which in a tactics episode takes no tactics. Shoot it across on diagonal against the army. Get the force field. Done. Target heroes if you want. That's amazing. But the chariot does take a lot of tactics. And I've talked about tactics of chariots before in another episode, but I'm going to shamelessly repeat them. So, Declan, can you talk about your chariot tactics first? So, my chariot tactics. First of all, I don't let it go out on its own. I make sure I always keep something with it, whether it be a captain to give it extra might or a Dane or or even just a, a small block of warriors just sitting next to it, just at the um at the halfway point so that any model that comes down that you know comes around to charge it will just hit this dwarf wall and so it can keep moving forward the next turn without danger of running over your, any of your own guys. Yeah, the nice thing about the chariot is that you control when it stops. It's not a war beast where it just goes until it runs into one of your own models and then you tell it to stop. So you can be you can go at the same pace as the dwarves, which is really, really handy. There's times when I don't move it at all. I'll just say, right, I'm going to force them into my little bottleneck, and then I'm going to run over like I've made this little pathway. It like, does make a really... Oh, sorry. Go on. No, no, you say that now. I just... I, I talk too much. Go. Uh, that's all good. It's weird because your voice is quite like, hypnotic after listening to Green Dragon for so long. It's like, oh, I'm listening to an episode. <laughs> so the chariot, one thing it also does, it makes quite a nice anchoring point from an ar- for an army, so you can just set your line of dwarves on the end of it, maybe anchor with some terrain on the other end, and Provided you're sort of protecting and not letting it get surrounded, and then you're moving it and using it to pivot, it can work quite nicely in that way as well. I like the classic infantry block on one side, goats on the other side. So you basically use the chariot to block the goats off from stray shots. You move your infantry forward, you tempt the enemy forward, like towards you, and then, then when they get close, your dwarves suddenly back off. They go, oh, I don't want to be here. They back away. They back away a little bit. And then the chariot pivots 45 and goes, ha-ha, time to unleash the chariot. And it goes flying forward. And then it flies forward as far as it can, kills as many things as it can. And then afterwards, the goats rip around the side and just try to chase it down and engage everything that, it, that's, that hasn't died from it, like that's flipped off to the side. So you've got a wall of dwarves blocking one side entirely. You've got your chariot that's pushed forward, probably about four or five inches, because you're not going to kill everything with it. And then the goats and Dane come around the side and just hammer everything. And that they, they survive pretty well. They're not easy to kill on that counter charge. So that's a fun way of playing the chariot. It takes a lot of patience for that way. The other way, of course, is to run it forward, but then you, you want to run things forward with it. So the dwarves are running as fast as they can towards the chariot, blocking off space. The goats are, are keeping up on one side or the other side or both sides. You've got your captains nearby. And, and the way you go that way as well, if you want to go the full destructive mode, if you've got two chariots, then you can do the full slow snowplow maneuver where you just the two go side by side and take out as much as they can. That's good fun. Oh, that sounds really cool. So with the chariots, though, just be very careful. What the enemy wants to do against the chariots, if they don't have magic, it, like magic's gold against chariots, but what they want to do is to force you to kill as little on the charge and then they run around your flanks and try and engage the back. Now, there's a few ways they can do this. One of the anti-chariot formations that, that I use quite a bit is setting up some sort of bait, so just a, a lowly guy that's, that's there to protect my, my tank. So for in, in Gundabad, I just throw a Gundabad orc. I position it so that it's just inside my charge range. So if I move, I move it so my orc is within six inches of the chariot, like just on. So I, next turn, if I want, that orc can run in and engage the chariot and just waste a turn for it. 
because it can't call a heroic combat, it can't barge or anything like that. So, so that's that's a good move. And what it means is the chariot has to use up three quarters of its movement just to hit the one orc. So that's that's good as well. So I keep it that distance is really handy. Then I have like my tank model directly behind that one. So directly behind as close as possible, like touching the base of it. For for me, it's like a gun to battle captain. But in reality, you want something that's defense seven with multiple wounds if if possible. If not, you have multiple defense seven guys and hope that it tanks on one of them. So defense seven is really good. If you don't have that, you find some defense five. Defense five multi-wounds if you have that. Almost everyone's got that with captains. It's oftentimes your captains that do this. So that that infantry captain with shield is gold against the chariots because it's quite hard for the strength six to get through that reliably to get the three wounds that it needs. So you set up that tank, then the chariot eventually stalls. It does heaps of wounds to your captain. Oh, well, that's fine. And then you either countercharge that turn or you wait till next turn, call your heroic move and countercharge, hope to get the roll off and sort it out. You hope that your captain's alive. It can, if it can tank two turns, amazing as well. So that's a formation that I often use against it. And that's kind of frustrating for the chariots because they've got to find ways to get through that. One way is to soften up that target. So if you identify the tank, throw every crossbow that you have into the tank, even if it's defense seven. Just say, right, everyone's going to try it. And all we're going to try to do is chip a wound or a fate point off. Because once a wound or a fate point's gone, then maybe the chariot charge gets through. Uh, one of the games I talked about before was against an Angmar army, and I identified the shade as the tank. So all my crossbows just went at the shade. Just get, get that shade, get a wound on the shade, see what I can do. And I did. And then I was lucky enough with the chariot eventually to be able to rev it up and fly through and knock out the shade, get those two fives that I needed or whatever it was to, to get the wounds remaining. So... The tank strategy works really well against the chariot. As a dwarf player, you need to be able to identify that. You need to be able to see that they've set up a tank, that they've got something that the chariot's not going to go through and either decide, well, I'm just going to hold back then. I'm going to wait. Or I'm going to go everything at the tank and I'm going to try and kill that tank. Or maybe I don't even use the chariot. Maybe it's a Dane and friends go heroic combat against the model in front and then go all out in the tank and just take it off. There's one thing with the tank is that you can always threaten it with the crossbow as well. Oh, you should be, yes. And I can often shrug off a, a crossbow if it's got that magic defense seven. So sometimes sometimes they'll employ two tanks as well, which is doubly scary for the chariot player. But yeah, you, you absolutely need to find a way to deal with that tank because you're probably not going to go through it with one charge. Another thing you can do with the chariot is just move it to where the tank isn't. And maybe that can sort of draw the tank to a different part of the battlefield than maybe your opponent wanted it to be. So there's some, there's some little mind games in there that you could do. Yeah, you've got to really pay attention to your terrain where you can actually go with the chariot. And that's where you use the rest of your army to try and like shepherd them into the right spot. So yes, you can absolutely do that, but you're somewhat limited because because you've got such a big base. Like even pivoting 45 means that there's a chance you're going to go into them. So a canny player might be able to set up so you can't go around it. Like like the the tank formation I do is like a spear tip formation essentially. So you've got the one model in front, which is just a a muppet that's going to sacrifice charge into the chariot. And then you've got the, the tank behind it. And then everyone else is diagonally backwards on either side of it. So there's there's diminishing returns. If the chariot does get around that, it's only going to hit one or two guys. And that's exactly the same effect as the tank anyway. So that means that the chariot is stationary near my lines with a huge weight of numbers on my side ready to jump on the chariot and take it off. Because it usually takes two turns to take off a chariot. Like unless you've got some monsters nearby, it's pretty tough to get through. So you want to plan to have lots and lots of dice on it for, for multiple turns. I'm sorry, you, you mentioned the word Muppet, and I'm just imagining this this little look, this terrified, just quaking in his little boots, just with, in front of this uh, big sort of tough tank, and he's like, ah! And he sees this chariot sort of rumbling towards him. 
I don't even recall saying Muppet. I have to listen back through the recording and see. But yeah, no, that's appropriate. Yeah, you send out a Muppet and, and away you go. <laughs> All right. And another thing I thought of with if you're using two chariots for some reason, I don't know who would ever use two chariots. Oh, we've got two chariots. I think we're going to use them. Excellent. So one thing that I thought of was, so essentially, if you've got two chariots, what, what I quite like to do is have a captain in the middle of them, regardless of whether the chariots have captains on them. You always have a captain in the middle that can reach both chariots and you can have, and then, you know, if the chariots do have captains on them, make sure that they can't, they possibly can't reach the other chariot. So then you, you can charge one in, then if it gets surrounded, you can follow it up with another one. Or if, if they're in different areas of the battlefield, call heroics with both of them or, you know, respond to heroics using your master of battle. You might even get one for free. And essentially, whichever side wins the roll-off, one of your chariots is always going to get a charge. Yeah, that's that's a really, really good point. Yes, if you call two heroic moves that aren't overlapping, you're going to get one of them because of the way the alternation works. So if you don't have two chariots, you set up Dane with one of them and you set up the, and Dane the goats with one and the chariot with the other and, and you have it so you're guaranteed to get one off either way. So that that's a really good call. And if you've got multiple chariots, that's probably one of your main tactics is that you should be reliably getting, if you've got enough might, a chariot charge off a turn. Now, that chariot charge might only do two wounds or three guys, maybe. But if it does, if you get that one where you magically get 10 guys, it's all over. And if you end up going against Corsairs, which are defense four, you just laugh, just take off a bucket of them. The only downside to that tactic is that, you know, if you both call heroics, you will have always wasted a heroic as well. But given that you get a charge off guaranteed, it the uh, benefits outweigh the costs. Uh, getting a charge with a chariot is never a wasted heroic. Okay, is there any other tactics you have, Declan? Just going back to the infantry for a second, one thing I remember doing with my Durance folk, but I think it would work even better with Iron Hills because they actually have spears, is finding a narrow space and holding it. In this game that I played a few years back, I had my Durance folk, and uh, there were these two houses on the board, like these Warhammer houses, and they were fairly sort of impervious. So I thought, okay, I'm getting shot by Easterlings, and they're you know, getting through my defense. So I'm just going to retreat into this gap. I've got a King's Champion. I'm going to send one banner to the back, keep one banner at the front, and essentially defend both ends of the gap. And so... and um. Ultimately, your opponent can't get their whole force into one side, so they'll maybe split off and go go around the other side so you can go sort of crazy with heroic combats and things to really sort of chew up one side. And essentially, you just play play a sort of a defensive game with an offensive component for the whole time and as you're hunkered down. That works really well because you get that concentration of attacks and you often don't have a huge amount of models, so that means your models are really good. So that that's definitely a really, really good option. And that's almost the ideal. If you can get to that point where you're fighting in a series of bottlenecks rather than on an open battlefield, that really does help. Like, they can fight on an open battlefield, but they do love a good bottleneck. And, and yeah, if you, if you end up essentially in sort of almost a castle-type formation that you're talking about, that's so, so handy because then you can really get those overlapping banners and master of battle effects. You can get lots of heroic combats going and, and counter that. You can keep, keep, keep value out of your moves and just really put pressure on one side while... It's really hard to move four Iron Hills Dwarves with Spear and Shield. They're in a gap. It's 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 tough. I suppose the only real downside to that is if you've got cavalry, they're not going to be doing much for that unless they're sort of outside the little castle and they're running off and grabbing objectives and things, which is, I suppose, the ideal. You're almost just waiting for them as a second wave. So if anything gets past your wall, they get hit by the cavalry. And then if you break through on one side, then the cavalry just go nuts. They run out and wipe out everything else. So it's not it's not terrible, but you're right. You need to be a bit patient about it. So... You almost expect to, once the, once the layers start peeling off either way, then you unleash the cavalry. In my experience with dwarves holding a gap, the layers don't really peel. 
Oh, there's ways. You've got, you've got a specialist peelers, but yes, you're right. That's that's the that's the ultimate dwarf tactic, isn't it? If you're, if you're holding a gap, that's exactly where you want to be. You want to camp on it. You want to have your objectives behind your back, the enemy in front of you, and put your big shields in the way and see how you go. Now, I just want to very quickly, before we finish up this segment, Declan, I want to just go through the people who are playing against Iron Hills, and they may feel a bit disheartened because they might have no shooting whatsoever. If they have shooting, it might be doing nothing at all. Your maneuver is how you beat the Iron Hills Dwarves because, yes, they have goats and chariots that can move eight inches. Yes, Dane can move eight inches, but eight inches is less than your cavalry and five inches is less than your infantry, probably, unless you're hobbits. So make sure you're moving as much as possible. You want to create the dwarf line as thin as possible. You want to make sure it's spread out as much as possible and then you go in with force at a couple areas of the line and try to break through and peel it around on itself and surround areas of it. That's the best way to crack a dwarf force. It stops their shield wall because they can't have all those shields in the back. It stops their, their placement. It means that the heroes might be just out of range and yours might be in range and maybe you can boost that with some heroic combats. But be patient and move around. Don't get too scared by losing a few models by shooting. Don't get get disheartened if you can't shoot down some of their models. You probably won't. Like When you go up against Iron Hills Dwarf Army, it's re- normal to not kill anything in shooting. Just accept that. that. That's what happens even without the blister. If it's got the blister, then, then you don't have a hope. So watch out for that. Play the maneuver game. You must maneuver against dwarves. And then you want the dwarf player saying, I can't do anything. You just run away from me. That's the perfect strategy against the dwarves. I suppose if you've got a chariot, it'll be less them moving away, more them running away from your terrifying chariot. Or running to the side, like like you run in different ways. So you don't running is not always forwards or backs. Running is sometimes to the side, and then the chariot doesn't like that. It doesn't like to keep turning. So you, if you can essentially make it run around and chase you, you might be able to split your force such that it's it's not doing the same damage, and then you can eventually do your tank strategies and try to take it out. So yeah, you want to you want to still play the maneuver game. The chariot if the chariot runs out really fast ahead, it's probably going to help you most of the time because. It's going to be out of position, and maybe the infantry can't keep up. So you might give you, give you a turn to just go at it unsupported. So don't be disheartened if the chariot does go flying at you as well, because you still can maneuver. It's not going to, probably not going to hit your first turn unless it's one of those weird deployments. If it is, definitely set up your tank formation from turn one. Okay, well that is keep it secret and keep it safe. So now we move on to everyone, and when I say everyone, I mean me, but everyone's favorite segment: scenario spotlight. Scenario Spotlight. Scenario Spotlight. Now, once again, listener, we are going back again to there and back again for our scenarios for the Iron Hills Dwarves. This is one of my favorite books. I love there and back again. It's definitely definitely a good one. I know it's not technically current, but it's always current in my heart. So we have the Clouds Burst scenario. The clouds burst. As Dane and Thrandall continue to lead their forces in a fruitless fight against each other, Azok has positioned himself at his mighty signal tower atop the heights of Raven Hill. Without warning, giant werewolves burst forth from the ground, an explosion of rocks and dirt announcing the arrival of the new foe to the battlefield. Horrified, the warring dwarves and elves immediately cease fighting and turn in disbelief to witness these foul creatures. 
Upon Azog's command, the great horn of Gorgoroth is sounded, signaling his legion of orcs and other fearsome monsters to march forth from the weirworms' burrow holes and charge towards the armies of dwarves and elves. Appalled but undaunted, Dane Ironfoot immediately recalls his warriors from their fight with the elves of Mirkwood and leads them forward to face this new threat head-on, leaving the army of elves behind them. The dwarves of the Iron Hills forming a mighty shield wall in an attempt to slow down this new foe. As the massed hordes of Azog's armies bear down upon their hopelessly outnumbered dwarven enemies, it becomes apparent to Thrandall that if the elves do not join the fight against this new threat, all will perish, elves, dwarves, and men alike. Can Thrandall and his glittering hosts reach Dane Ironfoot in time, or will the dwarves meet their end at the hands of Azog's legions? So the Cloud's Burst scenario has a layout on a, a 4x4 board. It's pretty much just a rocky area, so you've got... Like most of the five armies, just got areas with little bits of rocks. Very easy terrain to make. On the good side, you've got quite a few models here. Thrandall, King of the Woodland Realm on Elk, beautiful model. 24 Merkwood Elves, also beautiful models, but they suddenly your bank account's falling a little bit. 8 with Shield, 8 with Glaive, 8 with Bow. And then Dane Ironfoot and 24 Iron Hills Dwarves. So a simple Iron Hills Dwarf list. Not a legal one in normal games, but this is no normal game. Then in evil models, you've got three Gundabad or Captains, Three Gundabad Trolls, three Gundabad Trolls, amazing. And 36 Gundabad Orc Warriors, 18 with Shield and 18 with Spear. So this is big on the models. You're looking at like 50 models on the side, uh, on the good side, and slightly less on the evil side, but three massive Trolls. Doesn't specify which weapon, but put a mix in, it doesn't really matter. It's all fun. And you have some special rules, but pretty simple objectives. So we'll go to the objectives. Azog's Legion basically has to kill Thranduil and Dane. By the end of ten, turn two, the good uh, turn two. By the end of turn ten, the evil, the good player has to keep them alive. Uh, if uh, any other results are a draw, so if you kill one, it's a draw. So it's very, very simple objectives. The good player sets up the elves anywhere on the western board edge, like within six inches. So they're a few steps away from the dwarves, which are in the center. I mean, six inches of the center of the board, and the evil deployment is nice and close to those dwarves. So usually the dwarves try to disappear backwards a little bit. The elves come forward to help them, and the evil player runs at them. Here are the special rules. We are legion. This one turns up in this book a lot. Any Gundabad Orc warrior that is slain may re-enter the battlefield from the eastern board edge, so right away from the elves. In the next move phase, via the reinforcements rule, the evil side cannot be broken for this scenario. Okay, in the new rules, we don't care about breaking for the scenario, but... You do lose some guys, so you want to be able to throw them back in. So you don't care if you're going to bed orcs die. You just throw them in, throw them in, throw them in. So for the first half of the game, you definitely reinforcements will come back and ha- be able to fight. Hold the line. This is the interesting part. The dwarves of the Iron Hills are too proud and stubborn to back away from an enemy. The dwarf models may not move towards the western board edge during the good player's move phase. So you can back away during the combat phase, but what you've got to do, you've got that little six-inch deployment. You want to set up the line backwards. You can't disappear back from that. So you want to basically set up on the center if possible, set up a nice formation and expect not to go backwards. That can be a problem. So your elves have to push forward to help out. So that's kind of cool. And your final special rule is a stubborn rivalry. Although the, uh, the temporary allies, dwarves and elves still do not trust each other yet. So maybe they should be red allies instead of green. Let alone be willing to take orders from the commanders of the rivals' armies. Only dwarves might benefit from Dane's heroic actions and standfasts, while elves may benefit from any heroic actions and standfasts called by Thranduil. So they're two separate models. You don't have a lot of might. You've only got three on each of them, but they're, they're really tough heroes. Those trolls are 
really, really scary, though. You'd want to avoid them if possible. Oftentimes, the game turns into a bit of a dance for Dane and Thranduil, letting their warriors sacrifice themselves. The dwarves sometimes get caught out of position, but it's a good, fun fun game. Declan, what are your experiences with this one? A good, fun game, Jeremy. It is, and it is very much a sort of a dance for Thranduil and Dane because they are, of course, the um, the objectives for the good side, keeping them alive. One thing I've found that can actually be a real advantage for the dwarf player is is dismounting Dane, or as I was foolish enough to do, dismounting him by hurling through the line with a using a troll. <laughs> so I not I knocked him off his pig. I thought, oh great, I'm going to run around with my other guy that's marched forward. And I'm going to grab him, and it's going to be great. But turns out, no. Yeah, you got to be careful uh, with his um his has to charge, so that can keep getting caught out sometimes. What I noticed in this on the tactic. The dwarves are often set up in these little staggered diagonal lines, so they're trying to push forward along these diagonals because they can't go backwards, and Dane's dancing around in that way. So it's it's just the worries, isn't it? They can't go backwards. Dane can go backwards, can't he? Let's have a look. No, dwarf model. So the Dane is a dwarf model. He can't go backwards. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? So so that, they they play this almost breakthrough game, don't they? So they, they've got to run forwards if possible. So what I, I, I've done when I've played this one is let them go hard at one flank, on the diagonal, slowly creeping forward, and the elves go and join them, and basically they try to push forward right almost to the evil deployment zone at times, and then they can dance around. So that way Dane doesn't have to go forward all the way. It's an interesting challenge to no back away. You end up moving sideways a lot. Uh, one of the things that just occurred to me, you could potentially, with I was thinking about castling earlier on, you could potentially run them to a corner of the board in the, evils, um, in the evil deployment phase and essentially just pop Dane behind a wall of them or in the center of a wall or something, and if, make this little defensive bubble. Oh, absolutely. But you do have the stuff to crack a bubble with three trolls that can barge and that's the, that, and all the Gundabads coming back. You can you can do that, but that's that's one of the aims. And that's if you can get that, if you can get defensive bubble, you're going a fair way towards winning. Uh, what are your main tactics for taking down this, these trolls in the scenario, Jeremy? The heroes going hard into one is usually my main tactic. So they, they'll go into it. One of them will strike. Maybe two of them will strike if I'm really not confident. You go hard, really kill them with, with one hero if you can. So probably the closest troll. And then, if possible, avoid, avoid, avoid. Uh, I feel like you, you've only got six points of might, and you need to spend some might to take down those trolls. They're, they're really, really tough. You've got to throw lots of attacks into them. So that's, that's my main way is go really hard at one of them and then hope that I can then just throw dwarves into the other at, at bad spots or elves in bad spots and then let them just waste time. They're, they're only around for 10 turns. Three for 10 turns is tough. Two for 10 turns is not as scary. One of the one of the reasons I like this scenario, even though it's got really simple participants, it's got a little bit of a quirk with the, the dwarves not going backwards, so they, they can go forwards or to the side, but it's also got lots of choices. And so where you place your heroes, when you attack with your heroes, how much you commit them is a good choice. So I like the games of lots of choices. Ten turns, sometimes it feels like nothing's happening for the first seven or eight turns, and then everything just happens in the last few turns. So that often happens in this one. The clouds definitely burst open. Any final thoughts on this one, Declan, before we move on? Well, sometimes I find in scenarios with a turn limit that, you know, sometimes it's off or sometimes they've just made it 10 turns in order for because it's a nice round number. I find that in this one, 10 turns, it does come right down to the wire. Love it. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that one, actually. You feel stressed at that point. As long as both sides are stressed at that 10-turn mark, it's fine. So, yeah, I agree with that. And if, you, if you're really good, if you're like really cocky Gundabad player or dwarf player or elf player, you can always just kick up kick up the turns or kick them down or something like that. Go for nine turns or go for 11 turns and, 
and see how you go to change the difficulty. Uh, you don't want to change it too much, I think. Ten turns is really good. It's also fun to play with three players. We've played it with three players where one person takes on the elf, one person takes on the dwarf, and they spend the whole game arguing over where the model should be, and then the Gundabad player just gets to do evil laughs the whole time and push trolls forward. The best bit when you play it with three players, as I've done in the past as well, is when you don't let them talk tactics with each other. you just <laughs> both good players. They just have to operate independently. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Yeah, and you find that if they've got some strategies, then the dwarf player moves first and the elf goes and helps them out sometimes. But it can be frustrating for the dwarf player to put an obvious opening. It's like, okay, this is clearly where I need an elf. And the elf go, nah, just leave that gap there. So that's our first scenario. Once again, we're going for three. So our second scenario will be the chariot's charge. The Chariot's Charge Azlog's forces have engaged the dwarves and elves, staining the fields outside Erebor with blood from both sides. As Azlog commands his war beasts into battle, Dane Ironfoot unleashes his most deadly war machines upon the mass of orcs that now oppose him, cutting through rank upon rank as the Chariot's Charge relentlessly into the fray, scything down as many of Azlog's foul minions as possible. Dane's army needs to drive back the advancing orcs, buying the Iron Hills veterans a chance to regroup before they are overwhelmed in a sea of sharpened metal and snarling teeth. Failure to drive back the orcs would see the legions of Gundabad slay countless more dwarves as they continue their path of destruction. The lives of the dwarves, and even the result of the entire battle, hangs in the balance. Okay, so the chariots charge. The layout, again, is just a 4x4 board outside the gates of Erebor. Just some rocks and some bushes. I've got a um a board that I'm building which has which has of course a river running down one side, an ice river, which doesn't really come into play, but it does shrink the board a bit, I suppose. A, and a hill sort of towards the back and sort of definitely some bigger rocks dotted around the place. So there's a there's a little bit of terrain on there. The starting positions, the good player sets up the dwarves anywhere within twelve inches of the western board edge. The evil player sets up their army anywhere within twelve of the eastern board edge. Objectives. The dwarves are aiming to thin their enemies' ranks enough to drive back the seamlessly endless tide of orcs. The good play wins if they can kill 30 models before they are broken. The evil side is trying to press its overwhelming advantage in the numbers upon Dane's force. The evil player wins if the good player is broken before they can kill 30 enemy models. If the good player's kill tally is exactly 30 models by the time that they become broken, then the game is a draw. Now, I just wanted to say about becoming broken, that happens at the start of the turn, doesn't it? Oh, this thing again. Yeah, I think we read a lot into this one. But yeah, you test for break at the start of a turn. So you maybe have hit the requirements at the end of the last turn, and then at the start of the turn, you check if you're broken. So yeah, you, yeah, that, that's interesting. So maybe this game went for one turn a lot. I actually, I just house rule it. I, I, just, I just say, well, once at the end of the turn that, that 11 dwarves are dead, it's game over, just to keep it simple. But yes, you could potentially play another turn. Cool. Special rules, we've got the We Are Legion again, so just the models keep recycling round from, from their board edge. Uh, participants, good models. Iron Hills Captain, 12 Iron Hills Dwarves, a Spear, Shield, and 2 Iron Hills Chariots. Evil models, 3 Gundabad Orc Captains, 1 Gundabad Troll, and 36 Gundabad Orcs. 18 with Shield and 18 with Spear. Uh, so in, first thing I notice about this one is that you don't have Dane, so no fearless for any of your Dwarf Warriors. Uh, so that really does affect when you're charging the, the Gundabad troll because that's really the scary piece in this this one, that, that, that he can he can take down chariots by himself. Uh, 
I've always, oh, well, not always. I like to give him the club in this scenario because I feel like it encourages him not to do the Ren. The Ren's the like good, like standard option, but it's kind of the damage potential of the club is so good. There's one time where we did nine wounds in one hit on a chariot with the club, and it's just very, very satisfying. I know we only need to do five, but nine was fantastic. I played this scenario over and over again when it was first released, and and since then, the problem the first release was that the the captains could strike. So the Gundabad Orcs just easily dealt with the chariots. Easily. Now, in the new rules, they still easily dealt with the chariots because the Gundabads have like six points of might to the to potentially the two might on the good side. So I decided to make another house rule eventually, and I feel like this is about right. I, it is possible to win in the participants listed exactly as is, but I prefer it. It's a much more fun game from my point of view if you give both the Iron Hills chariots captains, because then you have at least the ability to match the might, if not get more with your Master of Battle. It means your chariots don't have to go in one clump, because you don't have any real choice in deployment if you've only got one captain. Both chariots go with that captain. But now that you've got might on everything, you can go for a flanking chariot if you want, with a couple dwarves, or you, you basically try, you'd be a lot more aggressive, a lot more maneuver with the, the chariots. Maybe you have to increase the amount of orcs. I didn't, but maybe you have to do, because... Yeah, I th- I feel like this is a more interesting game and it makes the chariots show off. Because this is the scenario to show off the chariots. It's the ones where they're supposed to be killing lots of models, not the ones where they're supposed to die on the first charge. It's definitely the one where you don't want them to be stopping on the first orc. <laughs> no. No, you definitely don't. And you've got three tank chariots, uh, sorry, three tank captains, and you've got a tank troll. So you've got your tank formations ready to go. So you do have to work as the good player to get those kills. The nice thing is that We Are Legion is actually a bit of a disadvantage for the evil side at times because those evil models often turn up where the, the chariots can take some pot shots at them with the crossbows, or then if one of them breaks through, it gives them a whole bunch to run over. So you've got to be careful with the placement of the orcs that come back because they can end up adding to the kill count. And if you faint one way with a chariot and the sort of the line, the line or part of the line moves across, you can sort of run one of them through. I remember one thing when I um, when I played sort of in preparation for doing the podcast, I tried to uh, to sort of faint one way with a chariot and then run both chariots around the hill. And what happened is they essentially stopped on the first orc and then they both got stuck there. And then the troll came in and he took four wounds off the chariot <laughs> and then four wounds off the other one. But I still got the win on that one because I was able to finally get a heroic move off and then just charge right into um, right into the orcs. Oh, wow. That's really cool and close. I find in this one as well, the unsung heroes are those foot dwarves. Because like when the chariots are stalling and they're having trouble, you think they're going to do all the kills. The dwarves just chip away. They chip away. They chip away. They hold their line. They... they help out the chariots, and they get the occasional kill if you're not too greedy with the shielding. And when they get those kills, that really does help because a few kills does go a long way towards the 30 that you need. I find that, um, that because you've got 12 dwarves, you can essentially split them off into... Um, you can either keep them as kind of a battle line between the chariots and have a few on the end, or you can split them off into three little, um, uh, three little groups of four and then just have them go and hunt some orcs and then just run into a flank of orcs and sort of pick off one or... And then pick off one the next turn. It's a nice way to sort of up the um, up the kill tally. But essentially, they're, they're also really, really good at guarding the chariots from being sort of surrounded and getting too many attacks on there. Because if you botch with a chariot with this many orcs, it is not going to look good. No, and I also like the infantry to go with the chariots just so that you can, when you lose a crew or two, you can just like recharge them. So if they, if they do take those out, because sometimes they're tempted. Like if you get a, a lucky win against a chariot with, say, two orcs, you're probably going to go with the crew if you can, because killing a crew member is going towards your victory of trying to kill that that 11 to break them. So you want to keep going with that. You want to keep going with that. 
but like if you've got buckets of attacks, you probably end up going at the chariot a lot of times. If you've got the troll in, because it's just just kill those five wounds of the chariot, then everyone's gone. So you got you got a bit of a choice there. So you 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 move around and and those those extra attacks that those little infantry provide are really useful. And every model feels like it counts on the uh, the not the evil side. Even the, the evil side's without without number. The, the good side, it feels like every model really counts. And I, I like this one with the changes that gives you lots of might. So the chariots can, at the very least, roll off to try and get some priority and have some, some advocacy because uh, there's, there's, there's some real concerns when, they, when you've got your two points of might, you lose both the roll-offs, and then the, the Gundabad player has three more points of might and you've only got a master battle to defend. Especially when you're so reliant on that charge. Yeah, your chariots really don't do much if they get charged. Yeah. And often then I find I'm not using the gun to go with the Gundabads. And, yeah, and, and then, then you're just shielding with the dwarves, so you're really getting nothing out of the turn a lot of times. So, yeah, you, you need to get... Like, this is the perfect one. You talked about the double chariot tactic where you get one doing a heroic move, the other doing a heroic move, and you get one of them to move. This is the perfect one to do that if you spread them out enough. As the good play, yeah, you always have to be thinking, and it really does sort of keep you on your toes, this scenario. And normally I'm I'm a big fan of more terrain, more terrain. This one I'm actually a fan of less terrain because the, the less terrain I played with it, because initially I played with lots of rocks, the rocks only really hurt the chariot. They don't hurt anyone else. So I tend to, to go for either really small rocks that the goats can just run over or just not a lot of terrain. Like you put some in, but you don't want it to be too heavy because the chariots, you want them to have the freedom to go and, and almost like they do on the ice, like go and, and do the, the break moves and... and Burnout and all that sort of fun stuff and change directions and keep going without having all that sort of real hindrance to, to going dodging around obstacles. Mm. When I was putting my board together, the first thing I did was um, get a chariot base and I just had it with me while I was working. And essentially, whenever I put a piece of like, whenever I put down that hill, I'd have it so that I could move the chariot base all the way around the side of the hill next to the river so that it wouldn't just get sort of start to go in there and get caught or anything so it actually the, the whole board would actually work for the chariot to play on it would still be fun a fun game and it had the right sort of turning angle and everything yeah i think that's a really smart move i think uh, we do that when we're laying out boards as well kylie goes around with a mumak base and just just check, checks everything if she knows there's a mumak in the terrain or she oh, in the tournament or the event so she'll, she'll find out whatever the biggest model in the event is and then take that base and just walk around all the tables and check that it fits everywhere so that, that's a good way of doing it and when you're making your own board and you've got a permanent setup it's an excellent way of doing it so I've I've gone from disliking that scenario and really hating the fact that I dislike it to now I enjoy it. I don't know if it's perfectly tweaked at the moment yet. I've got to play it a few more times to see, and I know that everyone plays it differently, but giving that extra might does really, really make the chariots fun to play. And we're going for another chariots. We're going all in on the chariots this scenario. So our next one is going to be, and our third and final scenario is going to be Unleash the War Beasts. Unleash the war beasts. Witnessing the devastation the Iron Hills dwarves have wrought upon his ranks of orcs, Azog signals his war beasts to see the destruction of the deadly dwarven war machines. At their master's command, the ogres of Gundabad set off at a shambling run, charging towards the advancing Iron Hills chariots with naught but venom in their eyes and a lust for blood. Whipped into frenzy and shouldering their weight through their own ranks, the ogres carelessly trample many of their own allies underfoot in order to fulfill the Pale Orc's command. As they give voice to a bellowing battle cry, a bloody clash of dwarf-forged metal and a hideous mutated flesh is unavoidable. The ogres will halt the chariots and massacre their crew or die in the effort.
So once again, we have a 4x4 board, which looks pretty similar to the others. So this is good. You're using the same board, essentially. This one, you have more models. So we've got two Iron Hills Captains, 24 Iron Hills Dwarves with Spear Shield, and two Iron Hills Chariots. So, whoa, heaps of infantry. On the, the evil side, we've got three Gundabad Orc Captains. Again, probably the same three Gundabad Orc Captains that just keep surviving for some reason. They've got plot armor. We've got four Gundabad Ogres and the same 36 Gundabad Orc Warriors who are Legion, of course. So they come on over and over and over and over and over again, always with shield or spear. doesn't matter about the shield spear in this one, really, but in yeah, you normally see them with shields. So this one, the two chariots, one of them starts right in the middle, and then the other one starts... Like they come back twelve inches, so you've got this wave of chariots where you can stand still and and like like let one chariot get attacked and then counter charge. It's up to you. But the objectives here, the ogres have to kill both the chariots. So this is kind of cool. So they have to kill both the chariots. Now ogres are very very good at killing chariots. The disadvantage is that if you put captains on the chariots, which we'll talk about whether that's a good idea or not, the ogres suddenly have an even fight value, so they might not be able to use their effortless rend sometimes i just disallow the rend because it's it's so easy to get damage off but you've got to you've got to flavor this to choice and then basically that's what we do so the the good player sorry the good player has to just kill the ogres so it's ogres versus chariots and that's it one of the chariots is sort of trapped in the center so it can go forward if it really wants the designers know it's always like just go forward and charge which is fair enough you've got destroy the war machines now this this is concerning as if the ogres aren't already good enough at killing them, you must re-roll ones to wound against the chariots. So they, they're just ripping apart chariots quite easily. So if you get ogres into the chariots and they win the combat, chariots are going down in short space of time. You've got the We Are Legion reinforcements, which is always good fun. This is another one that, that a canny Gundavad player, as written, can really just do this easily. Like You can hold the ogres back. You can engage with your captains and your Gundavad warriors. You can... Because the ogres can just run over your own guys. You can pick when they're coming in. It's really, really good. You want to, as a good player, probably soften up some of them. So what's your thoughts on this one, Declan? One of the first things that you know occurs to me when I look at it is the um is the chariot dead in the center. In the picture, it's actually a really, really small chariot. But in practice, it deploys a lot closer to the evil player than you might think. Oh, yeah. So they can essentially, as far as I remember, an ogre could run in on the first turn and engage it. Yes, it's it's very close. If if it's not they could, it's it's yeah, it's super close, especially if you move forward. One option is to pivot it so they can't do that. Um True, yes. So um I think that's what we've done in the past as well, just just pivot at forty five so they can't get the charge off first turn. You mentioned the um destroy the war machines being um, particularly strong, but I think that's really only there to encourage the ogres to actually fight the chariots. Because let's face it, the ogres move as fast as the chariots. They could run away from for the entire game. They could be staying out of the uh, the chariots' field of fire. They could be maybe picking on some dwarves if they wanted to. But ultimately, that you can just surround the chariots with um with orcs and wait till it, wait till they botch. Yeah, you're you're 100 right. Or you can just do the ogre thing where they they dance around so much they get around the back of the chariots and then they just charge in the back constantly. And the chariots aren't doing anything. So that that's the problem we had with this one as well. You almost have to have a a player's agreement where where you're going to attack. Like you've got to, as the evil player, if you want to play a dance game, you're guaranteed the win. But it's not a fun game. Yeah, um, one of the things, one other thing that I find when you've um, because I know you've sort of advocated putting the um the captains on chariots for this one as well. Have you? I think so because I, I just with the it means that the evil player gets to actually use some tactics in because suddenly march comes into play potentially suddenly heroic moves 
are more prevalent. Um, there's just more stuff that the good player can do, and they can be a lot more attacking rather than just hoping and uh, hoping for a, a big charge and trying to take out three ogres with one charge, which is very difficult to do. You really want to soften them up first. I would. I haven't played it. I'm going to go out there and say that one. Um, I would like to play it with with the chariots, at least one of them, probably both of them, with the captains on the chariots and go really nuts with the with the might. Means the master battle is probably not getting used a whole lot, but just to just to have the chariots, the ability, that, especially that one in the middle that could not be dead first turn, like to be able to go out and be able to have a chance for heroic move in the next turn would be really nice. One of the things that I did when I played it is I was almost thinking of that char- that chariot in the middle as being the bait. So essentially when the evil army started to come close to it, I pivoted, went off to one flank, hit the flank, the enemies came and surrounded it, and then but I'd brought up my other chariot and essentially just planned to sort of run along the side like a cheese grater. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of cool. And then, of course, then have a, sort of a third wave of the dwarves coming up and taking on anyone that tried to sort of attack that one. Yeah, if you can go and protect your chariots for at least a turn, that, that's going to help out a lot. I, I don't know what the best move of that chariot in the middle is because you, you could do, first turn, you could do your 360 pivot. You could turn so you're entirely going backwards. If you were really cheeky, you could deploy it backwards as well. You could, yes. If you really, Yeah, you could absolutely do that. Uh, eventually, you have to turn around. That Maybe that's not a bad idea. No, no, you can't. You can't. Oh, so it has to actually be facing forward, right? Facing the eastern border, yeah. Yeah, so so that cheekiness is out. But yeah, you could spend a turn doing the 360, well, 180, and then dart off. Or you could do 245. So you could do a 45, so you still get your shots off of your crossbow for the first turn. And the second turn, do a 45, go four inches directly across the center line, and then turn out. The problem is you're not getting that far away. It might be enough to get your other chariot in support and get your other dwarves nearby. I'm not sure, but... Yeah, I wonder if that chariot, you just sort of you just hold the line, hold the line, hold the line, and then just heroic move when they're in range and just do as much damage as you can and let it die. One other thing that I find is that the good force has essentially, apart from the chariots, doubled its power. So it's got um, an extra captain and an, and 12 more warriors. So what you can essentially do is is you're much better at screening off the chariots than, than last time and engaging troops. And the, um, the evil side hasn't actually gone up that far, and uh, they can be a little up against it. I get where you're going with that, Declan, but I, my concern is as well, like, f- four ogres is such maneuverability that it, it, they are a force multiplier on their own anyway, and you we are legion, so having those ogres threatening behind a line of orcs is, is really, really nasty, because you can do this, almost a tank formation, but it's, you've got another layer to it where the ogres are like eight and a half inches away from the chariot. So if the chariot moves forward at all, the ogre swings in, on the turn, they lose priority and just starts taking a whack at the chariot. This is another reason why I like the idea of having a captains in the chariots, because then it's not a foregone conclusion. Because the problem is that when I played it, once the, the ogres got into the chariot, the ogres won the combat pretty much every time. Because they had, they had lots of dice. They had some extra orcs in there. They had the ogres in there, maybe two ogres in there. So they pretty much always won the combat. And then... It's just a matter of how many wounds they could do. And because you're re-rolling ones, and because you can potentially rend, which we, we banned, even if it's five plus to wound, for example, it's still pretty easy to do some wounds. So, yeah, I, I feel like, don't underestimate the size of the evil one. Yes, 24 dwarves is really, really helpful. And it means you can be more aggressive with the dwarves. But you still, the majority of work has to be done by your chariot somehow. You've got to put pressure on those ogres. You've got to bait them forward. You've got to take them down. And... Actually, you probably want the dwarves to fight the ogres as much as possible. Just throw dwarf after dwarf into the ogres and hope that you can chip some wounds off. Because once you chip some wounds off, then the chariots can take them out. 
Uh, given that you've already got two captains in this scenario, do you think that putting the two more captains onto the chariot would be a bit of overkill? Uh, maybe, maybe, but I don't think so because they don't really act in the same way as other captains. Like, yes, you get the heroic moves and marches. Yeah, great. But it's basically what it's doing is kicking you up to fight five, and that's pretty much it in terms of combat. I think that just means you can have more combats one to the good side, and the ogres like, have to think about when they go in. They can't automatically win, which is nice from the scenario point of view. It means that the, the chariots can, can go a bit more aggressive and actually survive. So I... I, look, I, I haven't tried it out. I feel like that would be n- closer to what it is because at the moment, I just don't think it's enough. I think you lose that chariot in the middle too easily and then the other chariot has to do all the work and it finds a hard time to do that because ogres are still tough to kill for chariots. They can't just run over them one turn. They they take a couple turns to run over and you often don't have that because you've got two four might from the Gundabad, uh, sorry, four might from the Iron Hill Captains against six might for the Gundabads, and then you've got ogres that can just wait, 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 and then charge over the Gundabad lines. We are Legion, the Gundabads come back, and the ogres are in combat doing what they want. I did have one more sort of um, slightly strange question. With all these three scenarios, if you were to, say, play them on hard mode, I'm just looking at the picture on the page, and it's got the signal tower. Would you consider maybe adding the effects of the signal tower to the entire battlefield? <laughs> oh, you're evil. I would. <laughs> oh, that would be incredibly scary. Still, in the first one, you, you bring up an interesting point. I wouldn't be against that if you put banners on the good side, which I wouldn't be against because banners are really cool, and I don't know why they don't put them in the scenarios very often. They they seem to be missing from so many scenarios. Uh, David and I were talking about that quite a bit actually when we we're playing our last game. That just gives them banners. So yes, I would love that. Yes, yeah, signal tower and signal tower effects. So the banner effects for the signal tower and give the dwarves a banner, so the dwarves can then go and be strong in a line as well. I think yeah, I'll be happy with that. I think that could be good fun. I'll have to give that a try sometime. Yeah, it means the ogres are really scary with the banner effects, but it's it might be a way to to counteract the the effect of giving captains to the, the chariots. I usually don't like changing the participants, but it's a scenario. Who cares? Make it fun. And the, we've gone to so much investment in terms of just the time it takes to, to get the chariots and make them and put them together and paint them and all that sort of fun stuff that you want to, You want the scenarios to be a real highlight and you want people to ask to play them again, not say, well, that was a waste of time. I don't want to play that scenario ever again. And as a trio of scenarios, these three almost, um, they essentially have the same board and um, you know quite a lot of the same participants. So you could um, sort of play them as a set of three. Yeah, you play a bit of an adventure, have a have a, a long afternoon session and just go through all of them. Yeah, that'll be fun. So that's our scenario spotlight for the Iron Hills, which leaves us with one final segment. Mustering an art. Mustering an Army Iron Hill. So this is a segment where we try to make a few lists, which ends up sometimes turning into a lot of lists. We'll see how we go with Iron Hills. They're a pretty basic list. There's not a huge amount of options, so I can't imagine us doing thousands of lists. Declan, can you start with your first list? I certainly can, Jeremy. You said basic, you've got basic. So this first list, it is really just kind of that, in, based on that initial release of the Iron Hills as very much in a moving infantry army with a big ballista and a, you know, 
uh, Meaty Dwarven Warlord. So, at 750 points, we've got leading the army, Dane Ironfoot, Lord of the Iron Hills, with Warbore. And he is leading 11 Iron Hills Dwarves with Shield and Spear, 1 Iron Hills Dwarf with Shield, Spear, and a Banner. Got the full kit on there. And 6 Iron Hills Dwarves with Crossbow. In Warband 2, we've got an Iron Hills Captain with War Spear, 8 Iron Hills Dwarves with Shield and Spear, and 4 Iron Hills Dwarves with Crossbow. And finally, we have the Iron Hills Siege Veteran leading an Iron Hills Ballista. Okay, so you got your Ballista in there, which is fine. You've got a lot of crossbows and a Ballista, so you've got a really heavy, heavy shooting army. I take you paid the 125 points for the Ballista. You didn't sneak it in at 90, which would be good. So that's, that's a nasty amount of uh, infantry. That's a nasty amount of shooting 36 models in a in a Iron Hills army at 750 is spam. Like that's that's a huge amount of models. So yeah, look, it's it's a good solid one. It, it looks looks its job. I think it's pretty straightforward. I think it's one that a lot of beginners will probably consider because it's it does what you want it to do. It hits really hard in the shoot phase, and then it just you just break upon its walls. You hit it, and then Dane does a counter charge and takes out whatever he feels like. So let's move on to my next one, which I've jumped up 50 points. So this one is at uh, 798, or just for an 800-point tournament, or mm-hmm. that's the point level you're playing at. It has 36 models in here. First warband, Dane Ironfoot, Lord of the Iron Hills, once again, leading eight Iron Hills dwarves with shield and spear, one with shield, spear, and banner, four with crossbow. Then we have two identical warbands, Iron Hills Captain with war spear, five Iron Hills dwarf with shield and spear, and three Iron Hills dwarf with crossbow. So we've got, and then of course an identical warband, Finally, Iron Hill Siege Veteran with an Iron Hills Ballista. So the difference is you've ended up with an extra captain, is that right? You've got the same amount mm. of models. So is it just... How does that work? What, what am I missing? What have you removed from the initial one? Some of the crossbows? No, the same amount of crossbows. Some of the... Oh, well, yeah, maybe a, a dropped a dwarf for it. I don't, I don't know how the, that works. You've still got the banner in there, but yeah, it's... Looks, it looks pretty solid to me. I hope all the points are right on that one, but that's that's a good eight hundred points. I hope so too. I use the um, I use the Lonely Night spreadsheet, and um, and that's what it came up with. So I hope there isn't a fault in there or anything. But yeah, it's more that I wrote this one first and then dropped it down to the seven fifty when I um, I realized I could pack more warriors. And ah, oh, I think it's just the um, is it the fact that you're losing the captain? No, because the captain's eighty points. So. I feel like there's there's some points there that aren't quite right. Let me just... Which version of the Lonely Night spreadsheet are you using? 1.42. 1.42. That's a long time ago. Oh, is it? Oh. Yeah, maybe maybe you're wrong. Oh, 1.42. No, we're, we're up 1.45, so that's... Oh, no, 1.48. So that's not that far off. No, and um, I, I double-checked, and the, um, the ballista is 145 in that one. 125, yeah. Okay. Oh, yes. Well, look, it's it. Well, we've we've talked enough about whether it's right or wrong or not. It's it's a good format for it. You can probably put that at most different levels, can't you? Because I, I think that's you can keep going up with that sort of tactic, isn't it? More infantry, more captains, more ballista. You've got a functional army. Definitely. Oh, I know what it is. I know what it is. Okay. You he found no it. longer has. He no longer has the boar. That was it. That makes sense. Oh, ooh. no pig. No pig. No perfect. So you you are right. Dropping dropping a pig really. Ooh. Okay. Oh. No, one thing I forgot to mention during the tactics section and during talking about Dane is that I think that in the right circumstances, he can be almost just as good on foot if you've got a spear behind him, if he's in a line. and 
because often I found that um, when he's trying to fight monsters and things, he can't do a lot while he's on his pig. I mean, he can certainly dish out the damage, but he's very limited by, you know, being a model that's essentially designed to charge infantry lines. So if you actually dismount him or get him dismounted somehow and then put a spear behind him and put him in a, put him in a rank, he can just be really powerful. It's like sort of refining it all, all to a point. Mm. Yeah, no, that's... I was going to laugh off that suggestion to start with, as as I sometimes do, but that makes a lot of sense. If you're playing like really defensive and you want him to have that small base and you want to have a spear behind him at all times, you can easily, easily trap him to stop him going crazy in that one. Then he's not going to get too far out of the way. Uh, when you're taking monsters, you've got a small footprint, so lots of friends can come in. So, yeah, I can see that. I still would pretty much always put him on board, but... I can see I can see your argument on that one, yes. And look, you can always dismount, but then, yeah, you're throwing 20 points away. And he still has the plus one to wound, so he's not reliant on being a charging cavalry model to get that. He doesn't have a lance or anything. Yeah, he still hits pretty hard. You can work on getting some traps if possible as well. So it's definitely definitely a good option. So I don't mind those lists at all. Uh, we talked about what I think about the ballista, but that's not that's not your problem. That's the, <laughs> the rules writer's problem. And if you're going for that pure infantry, yeah, the ballista's helpful. Do you need it? No, you don't need it. Is it a nice option? Yeah, it's really good. So we'll move on to, to Kylie. Kylie couldn't make the episode, but Kylie's written some lists for us. So we're going we're gonna to pull them apart. Let's have a look at it. Her first one's 500 points. So 500 points... Pretty low level for Iron Hills. So she's gone for the first warband with Murin and Dra, with five Iron Hills dwarves with shield and spear, and six Iron Hill dwarves with crossbow. So that's pumping out eight shots in the warband. It's got six points of might in the warband. It's got either wants to a little defense uh, eight wall at the front, or at least defense seven covering you. That's pretty solid first warband. And a second warband of an Iron Hills captain with war goat and war spear, three Iron Hill dwarves with shield and spear. So you get that nice trifecta. So you can just like screen off or hold ground, and then five Iron Hills Goat Riders with War Spear. So this is a pretty solid list. We've got six cavalry models that can hit pretty hard. We've got eight points of might and a Master of Battle on a 5+, plus, as well as like six crossbows and two bow shots from Dra. Seems like a pretty good all-around list. I think she's got one week to sew, and I see no banner. First of all, I love this list. I think the Mirren and Dra warband, that is almost exactly what I would have done with Mirren and Dra, sort of split the, the spear shieldman and the crossbowman to sort of fit how they how they play. I would have put a banner in there if there was room in the points, but at given the points cost of all the models, I can understand why there isn't a banner in there and why she went for more hitting power. But yeah, just I think it's what Kylie would call stupidly efficient. Yeah, yeah, it is. I I just love a banner. Like I guess I guess at five hundred points, sometimes you have to sacrifice things, and you've got the the might to make up for it. I just feel maybe maybe drop, uh, but if you drop a goat rider, the numbers don't work particularly well, so it might end up being dropping. Oh, that's a tough one, isn't it? It's probably one of those ones that you split two models into three models or something like that to to move them around. Uh, I'm not, yeah, yeah. Look, it's. It sounds playable. At least with no banner, you can play like a full skirmish mode with it. And you've got lots of crossbows. You've got lots of goats. You can possibly dance around and do almost an avoidance army a little bit here because you've got some hitting power and you've got some counter charge. You've got some hammer and anvil going at 500 points. Yeah, you've got some limits. But yeah, it, it looks fun to play. And Murindra are always good fun. Absolutely. Um, the three Iron Hills dwarves, the spear and shield, they do seem a little out of place in that second warband. I know there isn't really room for them anywhere else. Would you consider dropping them to get a banner in that first warband? Uh, yeah, because if you drop them straight up, you could... So you drop them all, 
They're 36 points for the three of them. You take a banner, that gives you 11 points. That means you've got the banner bearer. Now, that means your numbers don't quite add up either. It means you've still got a guy in the, their warband. So maybe you move... You, just, you can move the banner around wherever it's like. It still means you've got a, a lone guy in their warband, which is going to happen. But I would strongly consider that. I, I think that's not a bad idea to downgrade those three spear shield men into a, a dwarf with banner and not a spear. I think it's the spear you pay extra for. So that would work on the points level. I think, I think I'd probably still do that. I think, I think goats hitting, you want a banner effect with them to really do some damage. So maybe even put a banner on a goat, although that does make it weaker as a hitter as well. So you, Maybe you want the infantry is that yeah, then you're getting lower numbers. That's tough. It's a tough choice. It's the sort of, it's the sort of list that you'd sort of have to wrangle with a bit before you got it to do anything else, but yeah. I would consider actually putting um maybe some of the goat a goat or two with Maroon and Dry just in case they got split up and put the some of the, the infantry with the other one as well, just to, to balance it out a little bit as well. But yeah. No, it's it's I, I, I can definitely see that. I just I really do love that warband composition though. That's exactly how I imagine imagine you'd play them. Yeah, it looks pretty good. I think we play it first before we criticize too much about one one item because that's it, it does look solid and the points are tough to to move around because of the the way they balance out twenty five points is such a strange number for them. Okay, that's that's Kylie's. So my first list, I've gone for a, a cavalry list, uh, and I I like this because it gives them the difference between these dwarves and the other dwarves. So I've gone for Dane with a war bore because it's a cavalry list. I've gone for three Iron Hills Dwarf with Spear and Shield, two with Crossbow, an Iron Hills Goat Rider with Banner, and two Iron Hills Goat Riders with War Spear, all in Dane's Warband. So it's a, got the five infantry models, that little triangle of Spear Shield, the two Crossbows in case they need to keep people honest, and then three Goat Riders. One of them has a Banner, because I need a Banner in the list. Well, I put it on a Goat. It's a fun-looking conversion. Then for Warband 2, I have an Iron Hills Captain with War Goat and War Spear, and I've got three Iron Hills Dwarves with Spear and Shield again, two Iron Hills Dwarves with Crossbow again, and two Iron Hills Goat Riders of War Spear here. So no banner in this one, but the Goat Rider again, and a Goat Rider Captain. Warband 3 is not identical. It is an Iron Hills Captain with War Goat and War Spear, two Goat Riders with the War Spear, of course. No, no Matic in this one. War Spear, and finally, an Iron Hills Chariot. So I've gone for very heavy on the goats and chariot. I've got enough infantry to, to be able to do something. So I've got a total of, what is it, 10 infantry models. So they can stand back. They can jump on objectives, go in difficult terrain, guard flanks, die slowly, whatever they like. But I've got heaps of hitting power. It's 800 points. It's got a fair fair amount of models for it. It's not, not a terrible amount of models, but a lot of them are in the chariot as well. So we've got a total of... What's that? 9, 8, 17, and then 7. So uh, 24 models. It's a bit on the low end, but it's still a dwarf army. It still hits really hard. I've got dual threats with the Chariot and Dane. I've got heaps of goat riders. I've got double goat rider captain. So I'm pretty happy. Lots of overlapping master of battle. It looks like a lot of models on paper because it goes on for quite a while when it's all listed down. Yeah, I think you've just varied the units (laughs) <laughs> in yes. a really interesting way you sort of re- really sort of spread them across so it looks like you know more units than it is but i imagine it'd be quite sort of skirmishy it's it's one of these it's all about the chariot but it gives you a chariot move option because everything moves so fast that you can actually push hard in certain areas and then reset up your chariot but you're right it is skirmishy and sometimes the chariot be used almost as an anchor like just as a threat so you get your goats in the right spot Two goat rider captains and Dane and then a bunch of goats can take down a huge amount of things. 
So you're actually going and trying to isolate pockets of infantry and take them out with that lot. So the chariot might actually be used to like almost scare people into the, the goat traps. So I feel like you've got a bit of options in that way, not just my typical Iron Hills chariot tactic where the chariot stays still, the, the infantry line falls back, and then, then the chariot has fun, hopefully. It's interesting because um, a lot of the time I, I tend to write lists with the chariot as the center of the list, but what, what seems you've done here, you've you've sort of listed off all these things. I was like, oh, by the way, there's a chariot in there too. <laughs> that's a, that's the thing. You do that as well in the list. So you put something that's really threatening right at the bottom and you hope people get bored looking at your list. So yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, there's nothing that threatening. Then you put the chariot down the bottom. What? <laughs> so, <laughs> no, it, it doesn't. It just happened that way. I was thinking about it and I've got another variation of this at 800 as well. So um, this is a cab version and this is probably a more traditional Iron Hills cab version based straight out of the scenario. So this one is three warbands. Dane on, on Warbore leading... A goat rider with banner and then nine goat riders of Warspear. So a big warband, 10, 10 goats and Dane. And then warband two is Iron Hill's captain with goat and spear and then 10 Iron Hill goat riders with spear. So we're looking at already 22 cavalry models. And then, of course, to top it up, I've gone for the ballista at the 125 points because that was in the scenario. So that's the one that, that they've got in the actual book where you've got like 24 goats or 25 goats or some some huge number of goats and two blisters. I've only gone for the one blister. It's it's probably the, the one dwarf army that might need the protection of the blister. Now, I don't think it needs it, but it definitely will help quite a bit. I'm, I'm a bit low on might, but I've got heaps of, of goats. So that's, honestly, I, I don't think it's as fun as my other one, but it's probably pretty effective with that, that blister and, the, and all those goats. Thematically, I really, really like this list. And it just you've got you've got so much cavalry. It reminds me of a um of a list for like the charge of Faramir that I wrote that I got about thirty cavalry models into the one list. Yeah, but, sometimes sometimes having so, like heaps of cavalry is enough. Like you feel like cavalry can't ha- hold its own. But I've got a similar list where it's a Boromir charge. It's just Boromir and all Gondor knights and Citadel guard, and it's it's fun to play. You got the banner in the 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 Boromir one. Yeah. Oh yeah. Of course, yeah. Fight five Citadel Guard, amazing. Yeah, and um, except in this one, you've got the um, uh, the ballista instead. Um, so how would you envision playing this one? Would you keep them back quite substantially while you sort of fired off some ballista shots? I would keep them moving. So my ballista would basically set up on an extreme flank, and then target the opposite extreme flank while my goats sort of ran forward along that diagonal, so getting closer to the enemy. And then my ballista would start shooting progressively into the middle of the army, and then hoping that that things would be winding up. So as the goats got close enough to charge in, the blister would just move its target along the line. That would be my hope for it. Of course, the enemy doesn't do what I want it to do, but it's basically just there to, to threaten from long range, to, to be opportunistic, but also just to put that put that stupidly good wall that I don't like because it's overly powered, but I do like in this list uh, mm-hmm. of, of twirlies to stop the goats getting shot out from under them. The riders are, are, are probably not likely to get shot out that much, but the goats with defense five of them against an elf army, they could do some damage to the goats, and I don't want my heroes to lose their goats. So that's it's basically on protection duty at this point. Like I, I don't actually care if it kills that much. I just want it to to protect the goats. So I'd pay for the protection upgrade if it was a choice. I think this is definitely what the um what the ballista was written for, sort of protecting those you know lower defense goats on the charge. Yes, but no other army has that sort of thing either. So I, I think with the quantity, that's a protection of its own. 
I, I haven't gone for the infantry in this one because I've got that protection. If I didn't have that protection, like you saw in the last list, I'd probably sneak some infantry in as the protection. So this one's I've been been able to take all these goats probably because of the blister, but still I still think the blister's doing more than its fair share. I would be more than happy to take this list if the blister didn't have do if it was if it was a choice between damage or shoot or defense. I think it'd still be a fair choice. I do find um, Iron Hills Goat Riders to be quite quite nice sort of defensive cavalry as well because they do have that knockdown. So yeah. they're always going to be limiting. And it's hard to get through defense six. And you don't, if you're in combat with it, you, don't, you prefer not to take on the goat. Like you do sometimes, but like people usually get pretty greedy and want to take out the rider and hit it all in one go. So they, they do that and that means they botch a fair bit of the, the attacks and wounds against it. So I find that they survive reasonably well. I've never taken them on this mass. Like I usually take about six. So having having twenty twenty two well twenty and then two heroes, it's going to be fun to play. Like I, I'd love to put this on the board. I will eventually when I eventually get all the goats together and we get our clubs with goats together. But yeah, this is it, it's it, yeah it's straight out of a scenario. So it's it's a theme one. I think it's it's solid. There'll be some things that it hates playing. Like it's not going to like things like nature's wrath or anything like that. But there's some things it's going to like a lot. Something that's occurred to me is you could just um you could send a all the goats in for a charge, get as many sort of knockdowns as possible, and then pull back, and the ones that weren't knocked out, instead of just charging in again and getting surrounded, but you pull back, and the ones, and the enemy has the option of splitting up and sort of trying to charge at you with a reduced force, because, you know, some of them can only move half, or, you know, just standing up and standing there for a charge the next turn. Yeah, absolutely. You've also got, yeah, that's a good one. You've also got the option of trying to run the goats essentially around the back, so the blister's shooting you from the front, and the goats go around the back, and just putting the pressure on that way. There's a few options. You could use the blister as bait and hope they run towards it, then ambush with the cavalry. There's yeah, there's 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 some options in this this list. You can also f- probably split up your cav if you really want to. Now, I don't know if I want to too much, but because you've got two master of battle heroes with might, you could go, say, double flank and then really sort of push hard and then have the blister going up the middle and just Maybe in first couple of turns you shoot at their their archers, and then the next turns is just be opportunistic and pick off whatever you like. There's actually a lot more tactical variety in this one than I first thought because you could also do some baiting tricks. You got heaps of bait. Like goats are great bait. You've got the blister as bait. You've got the banner as bait. You've got the captain as bait. You can even use Dane as bait if you really want to. Like if you make it look like he's in a bad spot, and then people might go and really try and take out his boar or something. And as you say, you don't care if he's on foot. So sometimes you use him to like bait out like those, you know, like those nature's wrathers or any of those that, that, that love to knock down. Like they, you know, they're going to go for Dane. So you, you let them. Uh, finally, would you, um, would you consider bumping this one up to a thousand points and adding a second ballista? <laughs> if I get the scenario done, yeah, I'll, I'll throw it down just to, just to see what it plays like against other ones. But I don't think. My gut says I probably wouldn't take it to events, but my my track record says I probably would. Like if I went to all the effort to paint all those goats, I'm probably taking it to every single event that I can. And honestly, Jeremy, you'd probably win best army as well. It depends if I'm in Melbourne or not. Yeah. <laughs> the home field advantage is not an advantage for me. We tend to tend to have a something new, and then they they tend to win it. And I have used Iron Hills Dwarves before, so there's no element of surprise. But it, it would look fantastic no matter what. So. A lot of my armies, I'll take a 1,000 points as just scenario participants, and they'll end up being a really good army, and I didn't expect it. This one probably is, probably is that case as well. Two ballistas is probably enough that you're almost guaranteed to get the wall off most turns, and then to have have the damage that they'll, they'll contribute, and then having all the goats following up mean that you've got 
you've got a lot of stuff going for you. I really like I should try that at some point because I'm wanting to put all the scenarios from there and back again, all the um, the five armies ones together and play them at some point. So I'll, I'll have to, you know, play this list at some point. If you've got the models, I think you have to. Like it's like the chariots, you, you're putting so much into the your force that you've got to get some value out of it. So you've got to play it. Like that's and people have got to see it being played as well. So your community gets the value out of it. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, your next list, Declan. Okay, so first of all, we've got seven hundred and fifty points, and the special instruction for this was um, run two chariots because I got super inspired after playing those scenarios. So at seven hundred and fifty points. We have an Iron Hills Chariot with Captain, five Iron Hills Dwarves with Shield and Spear, one Iron Hills Dwarf with Shield and Banner, three Iron Hills Dwarves with Crossbow. Second Warband, Iron Hills Chariot with Captain, six Iron Hills Dwarves with Shield and Spear, and three Iron Hills Dwarves with Crossbow. Now, I should warn you, just before we um, sort of go into this any further, I've written quite a few lists for this. I was sort of writing them sort of on and off all afternoon, and I ended up with a whole bunch, and I just didn't <laughs> know which ones to take in the end, so I just picked my favorite five. Um Five lists. Okay, we'll read the list and then I'll go through and I'll I'll talk to what I think about the general composition of them. So that was your seven fifty. Was that the small one? It must have been the small that one. That was the small one, yes. Okay. Okay, what's your next one? Alright, so here we are. We jump up to eight hundred points. Now this was just a bit of a basic one and I included it because it just seems like such an obvious choice. It's at seven hundred and ninety eight points. Uh we have two warbands, they're exactly the same. Iron Hills chariot with Captain, eight Iron Hills dwarf with shield and spear four iron hills dwarf with a crossbow and of course we have another one of those i don't think it's quite as good as the previous one just because it doesn't have the shield but it feels like a very sort of clean list mm, yeah yeah it's very symmetrical it's 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 pleasing in that way mm, probably a better version of that also at 800 points or 798 iron hills chariot with captain five iron hills dwarf with shield and spear one Iron Hills Dwarf with Shield and Banner, three Iron Hills Dwarfs with a Crossbow. And Warband 2, Iron Hills Chariot with Captain, four Iron Hills Dwarf with a Shield and Spear, four Iron Hills Dwarf with a Crossbow, three Iron Hills Goat Rider with War Spear. So here we've bumped down the units ever so slightly, but we've got a lot more um, sort of tactical nows with those Goat Riders. Yeah, you've got, it's got a lot more option than that one. That's a, so that one you've got, still got both your Captains on Chariots, which I, I'll talk about soon but you've got the banner which i like I, I the one without the banner concerns me a little bit the uh that's the one that has three iron hills goat riders that's really nice because you've got something that can keep up with your chariots and, and jump around the sides and defend you so that's not a bad one at 800 you've got a decent amount of stuff in that one and then of course we bump up to a thousand or 995 for this one 28 uh, models first warband we have Dane Ironfoot, Lord of the Iron Hills with Warbore. Now, the reason I've taken Dane in these one, in this one is because I just felt that there wasn't going to be enough that could take out the really big heroes at this points level and that I really needed something that was going to take on the Aragorns and I couldn't just rely on a cap, captain on chariot to, to go in and try and do the work, especially against those with high fight. So, mm. Dane Ironfoot, Lord of the Iron Hills with Warbore. He is leading. Eight Iron Hills Dwarfs with Shield and Spear. Eight Iron Hills Dwarfs with Crossbow. One Iron Hills Dwarf with Spear, Shield, and Banner. Then Warband 2 and 3 are identical. Iron Hills Chariot with Captain. Four Iron Hills Dwarf with Shield and Spear. So we have those little Dwarf Warbands to just run around with the Chariots and screen them off from things, or if they come on on a weird point on the board, just to sort of essentially form a wall and allow them to get where they need to go. 
Dane's very helpful there. You got the banner in that one. I do like that you, you're putting a fair amount of crossbows in your list. I feel like with the chariot, because you've got the crossbows, the crossbows on the chariots alone aren't threatening enough. But if you've got a handful of crossbows as well, it does help out. So I don't mind that one too much. I should point out that in any of my lists, you can just swap out uh, dwarves with crossbow for dwarves with um, shield and spear because they are the same points. I just really wanted to sort of highlight if you wanted to take the crossbows where you'd put them, you're more than welcome to swap them out if you just want to run like the wall of steel. Mm, yes, yes. All right, so and the second version of 1,000 points, Dane Ironfoot, Lord of the Iron Hills with Warbore, eight Iron Hills Dwarf with shield and spear, one Iron Hills Dwarf with shield, spear, and banner, six with crossbow, two goat riders with war spear, and one Iron Hills chariot. So that is just a standard chariot, and that's the first time I've taken it in here because I was trying to get a decent number of troops and Dane and two chariots. Iron Hill, the second warband, Iron Hills chariot with captain, six Iron Hills dwarfs with shield and spear, four Iron Hills dwarfs with crossbow, two Iron Hills goat riders with war spear. I think this is probably the best list of the thousand point ones. Mm, yeah, I agree so far, and I'll talk about why very shortly. You got one more, don't you? Or is that did you? Hear? Oh, I was going to save that till afterwards as a bit of a okay, okay, joke okay, list. okay. So my thoughts first of all. We, we, we debate the usefulness of the, the chariots of captain. I would, at the very least, split it. So a lot of times you've got a chariot captain and you've got both chariot captains. I think the problem here is you've got no ability whatsoever for heroic combats. So I would, if you if you really are sold on the chariot captains, which which is fine, like that, that's good, I would consider maybe dropping one down. So having as your standard formation of two chariots, one chariot captain, one chariot on its own, and a captain or Dane on a mount. So at least you've got someone to go and jump around and assist. You can still get the heroic move range. You can still get one that gets both chariots in range. You can get one chariot to, to go to the other one. you still got that option. You've still got to fight five chariot if you want it, but you've got a little bit more flexibility in a captain that can dance around a bit more and has flexibility. The biggest problem with the chariots is that if something gets around the back, the chariot can't deal with it. So you need those those really good guys, the goat riders or the infantry or even better, your captains, to go deal with anything or or stop them going around the back just by scaring them. So I like the maneuverability of the goats in that point. So the one that I like the most going by that is that thousand point list that you said where you had one chariot on its own with Dane in the warband and then one with the captain. I just, I just like that more just for the options and the flexibility because Dane can move around and protect the chariots and the chariots can still call the heroic moves because one chariot can call it, the other one can be nearby or you can split off one with Dane and the chariot can be on its own as well. So that's my favorite double chariot list you've got. Cool. And as a um as a final note, I also wrote what I consider to be an ever so slightly silly one, but still has a bit of threat to it that I just wanted to sort of throw in. So the leader, it's at a thousand points again. The leader is an Iron Hills chariot with captain, with four Iron Hills dwarf with shield and spear, one Iron Hills dwarf with shield, spear and banner, and one Iron Hills chariot. The next warband, Iron Hills chariot with captain, four Iron Hills dwarf with shield and spear, and another Iron Hills chariot. That makes four chariots at a thousand points. With a couple of infantry to just run around and sort of restock the chariots, I have played around with this list for the last few years, every once in a while, because I just love the idea of putting down far too many chariots that is reasonable. <laughs> oh my god! Someone's going to go listen to this episode. And go, that's the list for me. I want four chariots and and good on them for <laughs> for doing that. Uh, you are insane. Forge will do our welcome. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Those jackpot for them yeah that <laughs> it's, a, it's an all eggs in one basket all eggs in the chariot basket one when it does work it's going to be spectacular the eggs though 
Yeah, but the, the eggs is just on the chariot charge. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, you can split up. You can do two separate ones if you want because you've got the, the might there. So you might do two flank double chariot charges on the flank, essentially. But you just don't have the same maneuverability as the Khan one. It feels like it feels like you want to be khan So it feels like this should be a 1,000 points. Iron Hills want to be khan list. And you could probably do with the, um, this in Khan with about at about like 650 or something like that because they're... Much yeah, cheaper. pretty much. Yeah, it feels like a Khan tactic. And, and look, when it works, it works really well. I think the issue is that 8-inch movement is a little bit easier to, to get away from. Big bases are a little bit harder to, to maneuver. But it's, it's like, unless they have some monsters or magic, it's going to be hard to crack. And they might take out a chariot, but then you've got so many others to go at them. And, and at this point, you might be able to use a chariot as a reserve and spin around and reposition and that sort of stuff because you've got that pressure going so much. Or if you just wanted to stay back... That's between four and twenty-four crossbow shots a turn, yeah. and that's such big. And that's such big bases that you can almost just just walk across the field and sort of screen off quite a lot. Although I suppose you can't turn them on their side; they just have to sort of move forward. But they're still they're still fairly imposing. You don't want to be getting at the side of them because then they can just turn and run you over. Yeah, I think you probably want to keep them close just to to make sure that there's not many models that are getting behind them. So if you keep them close, so so like less than a model's width between them, people can't get around through the side of you. So you're almost like protecting each other. Get together as a group and give it a try. That that sounds like sounds like a good fun evening, if nothing else. I'll just have to find some more people in New Zealand that actually have chariots. Yeah, absolutely. Or or yeah, we went. Or get a few more up. myself. You do what you do. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's do Kylie's second list. So she's only left one, which is feels like a difference for this this episode. We've been doing lots of lists, lots of lists. So hers is, uh, looks like an alliance. So she's got Dane on boar. She's got 13 dwarves of spear shield, four dwarves of crossbow, and a dwarf of shield and banner. So big, big wall there. Then the next one, it's Iron Hill's captain on war goat and war spear. So she likes the war goat war spear captain as, as well as I do. She's got the spear shield dwarves and then more crossbows, six dwarves of crossbows. So she's got the pretty much the, the real infantry one, but with, with a mounted captain instead. So not a foot captain, a mounted captain. So she's gone light on the goats on this one. But then as an alliance, she's added Radagast the Brown on horse with Sebastian. Oh, Sebastian's almost a gimme when you have Radagast because he's such a good one. So, so not the sleigh, but the horse. So they're slightly cheaper, not much, but slightly cheaper. But Radagast, but much more maneuverable. So casting some spells could be a, a good bonus to, to like be renewing guys. Um, I think the key, though, is that Radagast Terror. So having a massive Terror bubble on these guys would be really quite scary if you had bad courage. This looks like a fairly strong list because she's definitely taken plenty of crossbows and just a, a good solid sort of infantry contingent. And then also having, having Radagast in there. And, of course, he's so much scarier than he used to be. My time playing Iron Hills actually goes back a little bit further than the Forge World releases. Um, back in, gosh, must be 2015, I got my hands on some um, conversion kits and uh, converted some Grim Hammers into what were essentially Khazad Guard and Warriors of Erebor at the time and ran them with the standard Thorin Oaken Shield and the old Dane Ironfoot profile. And then I, um, I dropped in Radagast the Brown on Great Eagle. And yeah. it was a fairly strong list. If I'm honest, that's what I would take. I would go for the eagle. I would, I would probably drop some of the dwarves in, and I know it's a few dwarves you have to drop for it, but having that maneuverability of an eagle sounds really damn cool to me. Uh, look, I like it. I like the, the Radagast the Brown as an alliance. I think that's a solid choice. I think uh, the horse is, is an unusual choice, but it's a good choice for, for Radagast to get that maneuverability because it's a mostly infantry list. If you're planning just to park him in the middle, that makes a lot of sense. He's got some useful spells. He can stop cavalry. He can transfix models, which is pretty handy. You've got 
like a fair bit of crossbows, 10-ish crossbows. You've got a shield wall. It's 800 points. It feels like almost a variation of your infantry ballista instead of the ballista you've got a Radagast. If you want him sitting back with his aura of dismay sort of covering the whole battle line, one thing you can do is you can use Nature's Wrath just to knock, knock down the front wall after they've failed to be able to charge you because you're terrifying. And then, of course, just go in, and um, which certainly makes up for not having um, cavalry in the list, apart from apart from the heroes. Yeah, no, I think the, the Nature's Wrath would be really cool, but I think the Terror Bubble, it, unless they're immune to Terror, I think that's going to be so useful because having having them, them break their lines just by not being able to charge things will be very useful because then you can position and, and have some number superiority with your dwarves. Okay, so my last list, so my last list, let's move on to this one. This one, I'm once again, I'm going a little bit scenario-based. So I've got a 750 army list. So in my first warband, I've got a full warband, Dane Ironfoot on board with a dwarf with the, the full kit banner, so spear shield banner, 11 with spear shield and 6 with crossbow. So just a third of them crossbow, everyone else spear shield. It seems to be a bit of a theme we've had today. So that's a maxed out warband. Then in warband 2, so second warband, is Thranduil on Elk with heavy armor. So that's the only two upgrades I've given him. So going for very much movie sort of based. And then he's got, maybe not so movie based, a palace guard banner with spear shield, three palace guard spear shields. So four palace guards just for that really tasty fight. Six and, and bodyguard. And then I've gone for five Merkwood elves with shield, two Merkwood elves with glaive because the glaive's not that good anymore. It's a bit overpriced compared to some of the other stuff, but still it looks so cool. So I've gone for two of them. And then six elf bows, maxing out my bows. So six, six crossbows, six bows, uh, two big hitter characters, Dane and Thranduil, both on a mount. So I've gone for that, that almost my variation of that scenario. We talked about the clouds burst. So a lot of models, actually. So we've got 18 in the first warband, 17 in the second warband. So 37 models at 750 is pretty good numbers for for an elite army. Lots of infantry, not many cavalry, but the heroes can hit hard. Only two heroes, but lots of, lots of shooting. It looks like a solid army. Oh, and double banner. Two banners, one banner for each. Uh, basically double bodyguard banners as well. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the banners aren't running away. I, I think when you're going for this army that, that's so invested in fight value and I don't want to be fighting any combats where I don't have the effect of a banner and I don't have those massive banner effect ranges like you do in some heroes. So I feel like two banners, not only does it look really cool, I feel like it's a good investment for these type of armies because, yeah, once once you get to approaching 40 models with elves and dwarves, every combat you want a banner effect on. I like the alliance you've chosen, partly because it's um, really, really thematic, and I love that. But also because um, it's they're essentially they're lists that have you know a single hero as the focal point of the list, and you've put both heroes in the same list and surrounded them with their guards. If you were playing against you know either one of these lists expanded out to a full army, you'd be you'd be afraid of that character, and you'd you know be you know planning around and trying to take them down. Now there are two of them. This is getting out of hand. Now there are two of them. <laughs> That's the plan, isn't it? Because because people can pin one character or spell it or transfix it or whatever, but two is a much harder thing to do. So that's the idea. And you've got so much good, reliable infantry that you're going to be winning more than your fair share of combats with them. And you also have some some like presence on the battlefield with the, your, your crossbows and your bows. So uh, it's a really nice actual strength layout where you've got the strength four crossbows and the strength three bows. So you can target specific things. You can really put pressure on the, the heroes and things and weaken other guys around and then, then let your heroes 
do what they want to do. So it looks like a fun list. I've also got a second version of them because I couldn't decide on the war gear for Thrandall. So I've got one where the first warband's exactly the same. Dane, Dane's happy. He's got exactly what he wants. But the second warband instead this time is only 11 models instead of 17. So so it was 18 with Thrandall. I've gone down to 12. So I've dropped six models. So to drop six models, I've got some good stuff. So I've gone now for the elk again because I just, I just love the elk so much. Heavy armor, because he's wearing heavy armor. An additional elven-made sword. So when he's on foot, suddenly he's just as big a hitter. He doesn't have the two attacks on foot. He's got three attacks base plus extra for extra people. That's pretty handy. And then I've on also for the Circlet of Kings, so I can drop the Terror Bubble. I can do a... Um, so was it Terror and a Nature's Wrath at some point? Or whatever, the knockdown spell. So I've gone for real presence on the battlefield. This is all eggs in one basket, Thrandall. He's... he's costing heaps of points so his bodyguards severely weakened so it's gone for a palace guard with banner spear shield three palace guard with spear shield three palace guard with just shield so seven palace guard and then four Elves with bow to back it up so i've dropped six models from that one it's probably the numbers are closer to what you expect from an elf dwarf army but i've got a lot more in thrandall and what i really like is that circle of king's terror and then the elven made sword that when he's on foot he's still just as an effective hitter you like this one. What was the points value again? Uh, these are seven fifty. Okay, so they're both seven fifty. Um, yeah. Would you consider maybe we play a lot of um eight hundred points in New Zealand? Uh, would you consider maybe um uh keeping the original and just bumping up um the Thrunderwills upgrades to get to the eight hundred points? Yeah, absolutely. Yep, and just maybe if I get some five points spare, just upgrading some of the Merkwood Elves to Palace Guard. Yeah, absolutely. I think that would kind of be a best of the both worlds with this one, but yeah. I really like it because in the last one you were kind of relying on um, Thrunderwheel staying on his elk. Yes, yes. And I figure as soon as people realise that he doesn't have that, he doesn't have that sword, and he won't have the blade lord. He's not going to be that sort of big scary beast when he hits the floor. I think they're going to go for the elk. Yeah, but this one covers it really nicely. Yeah, you have to put a lot of protection into him to keep him on his elk, which you can do because you've got heaps of infantry to guard against things. You can keep him back, and he's fast enough to come forward. But you're right, having having more equipment and then. Like a bit of spell ability with that terror and the 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 nature's wrath or or of dismay oh no it's yeah or of dismay and I think it's nature's wrath but uh, those spells are really really useful. You're right. The elven made sword is just like he's hard to deal with because then they don't know. Like sometimes they actually want to keep him on the elk because they feel like he's not getting extra bonuses when they surround. So you've got a choice there. So. I like I like that one, and yeah, at eight hundred points, absolutely. I could also probably squeeze a couple cavalry models in as well, but there'll be some choices there as well. Taking the elven made sword, is there any circumstance in which you consider not taking the elk? Because in terms of attacks, it feels like he he does get a lot more than when he's on foot, and he gets them consistently, whether he charges or not. Usually, I don't take the circlet, so because it's it's you're building up your points quite a bit. I would. Yeah, consider considering on foot with maybe I drop the armor, maybe I keep the armor. I'm not sure about that, but yeah, the circlet and extra swords is not a bad foot option if you've got say in his list. So you've got lots of things to do if you don't want to do the elk. What I like the elk is it's a really good way to lead the Merkwood cavalry. So I usually have that combination going. So, but yeah, I could consider especially if you're forking out. It's it's pretty costly for the, the swords. So having him on foot with the swords is is fine, especially if you're going one of those like Merkle Ranger based armies where it's a lot more shooting based. Then on foot's fine. Uh, would you consider taking any of those uh, Merkle cavalry in the list? <laughs> we're, we're, we're moving to our Merkle segments and and uh, quite a bit. Uh, yeah, absolutely, I would consider that. Yeah, would do. 
the problem as well with the first one, you're right, the, the fight six instead of fight seven is a big difference. But then you've got fight six guard as well. So I do like I do like the swords. The reason I ask is that the um the list almost looks like it it's fairly central with the Iron Hills and then the elves kind of sort of move on the flanks and sort of move around there and and keep skirmishing and things. Oh, I see what so you're saying. You, so you don't really have too much to um to sort of leave to go and grab objectives and I think the palace guard are really useful there, but then you're sort of losing them from your lines. Yeah, the other way you could go is go real heavy on Thrandall, just leading a bunch of uh, the the knights. So maybe a couple foot guys, but there, yeah, you, you could definitely do that. That would be probably a, probably a better composition because you've got more flexibility. Maybe some goats on the the good side, maybe some uh, the Mirkwood cavalry. There, you've got some options. Yeah, it's. I feel like the seven fifty is a bare bones version of it. I feel like yeah, once you get to eight hundred, you've got some room to maneuver a little bit. I do really like the idea of getting the sword back there. So not having the sword, I might even on the normal list just drop that, even if I'm not going for the circlet, drop three elves for it or whatever it costs me, two elves, just to get that extra attack and fight seven is pretty nice, even if I don't get it on foot. I do find uh seven fifty does feel like a more elegant points value than eight hundred. I don't know if it's just like the shape of the um the shape of the numbers, they're quite rounded, but it does feel a little bit bloated. To you know, when you start putting things in there, it just feels like you're really sort of adding on to what you've already got. The, the, the lower the points, the more choices you have. So sometimes there's there's a real attraction to to bring it down by fifty points, by fifty points, by fifty points, and see what what disappears and what stays, what you actually need. So that there's some yeah interesting process there as well. I know that seven fifty has become a bit more popular here than eight hundred. Eight hundred used to be the go to, but seven fifty just gives you a couple more choices, which people like. I'd like to see some New Zealand events go to that because I think that could be a lot of fun. It would just really sort of challenge people because I know in the past we have had sort of things where people have run a 750 tournament and they've had people actually ask them, can you bump this up to 800? Oh, boo, don't do that. Yeah, I know. Now, because you want you want the choices and, and if people are saying they can't fit everything in, that's probably good because it, it changes the like uh, what's happening, the play styles and, and what's going on in the local area and sometimes it gives other armies time to shine as well, which could be pretty useful. Definitely, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that was fun. That was a lot of lists, a lot of lists, but some good lists, and surprisingly a lot because of the the Iron Hill setup. We focused heavily on the the chariot and the blister a bit because that's what's special to this list, and, and Dane as well, of course. But it's a good fun list, and I hope that the the listeners who play Iron Hills thought we were fair about it, not too harsh on them. Well, I think we were pretty harsh on some of the equipment, but uh, we we are both Iron Hills players. And we both like them a lot, so we couldn't be that bad. I'm sure it was a decent episode. So thank you again, Declan. It was great to talk to you again. Uh, hopefully, this episode is released nice and quickly, and the listeners have lots to listen to and have are inspired to come up with an Iron Hills army. Thank you very much, Jeremy. This has been so much fun to you know delve back into the Iron Hills, which I haven't played in a little bit, but it's all just come sort of flooding back to me, and just the. The amount of fun you have just moving them around in their battle lines on the board, and you know, doing all the sneaky things with the chariots and the goats, and I'm I'm gonna have to paint up some more at some point. That um that uh, Iron Hills Merkwood list looks really appealing, so I might I might have to do that after I've done all my Gundabad. <laughs> You're trapped. This is the the secret of the Green Dragon, isn't it? To make the listeners want to and the the hosts as well want to go and make new army lists. So I'm excited as well. I've I've um, I'm working on the Azog Legion still from the last time we recorded, but I I have the the dwarves sitting there, and I've got some some actual ones with Maddox and my Captain on Goat, so I want to get them done, and then then maybe reward myself with some some more goats or some some other stuff there as well, or, or maybe my ballista, maybe my ballista, and and away we go. So yeah, that was really good. So as with Iron Hills, as with all other armies, please remember traps win games. 
Thank you for listening to the Green Dragon Podcast. The Green Dragon Podcast discusses tabletop wargaming using the Middle Earth strategy battle game rules for Games Workshop. We have no affiliation with Games Workshop, Warner Brothers, New Line, Tolkien Enterprise, or anyone else involved in Tolkien's universe. We're on our own. Thank you to our patrons for your support. You can become a patron at www.patreon.com slash thegreendragonpodcast. You can contact us via our Facebook page at The Green Dragon Podcast or on our email, thegreendragonpodcasts at gmail.com. Not so sure about that plural. This podcast is for entertainment, so please take it that way. Farewell, listener. The road goes ever on and on.